Greetings, everyone, and Happy New Year from the Stacks. This is Jay. And this is Shashanashana Shana. Ooh. Uh, I've worked I, hard I, on that. I wonder if that actually has some sort of meaning. Maybe it's even it offensive. Uh, <laughs> shit, it might be. I don't know. <laughs> it could be. I mean, if the title of the movie had meaning, then this might. Yeah. Uh, although it, it, there, there's definitely an alliterative nature to the way uh, that phrase works. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I've I've heard the translate the the title translated a couple different ways, and when I said the phrase to a person I know from the Philippines, uh, they did recognize the words, but they also translated it differently. Interesting. But anyways, our first film this week is the second Harry Palmer film, uh, the Michael Caine sort of alt Bond series anti-bond almost although very anti-bond and this one i think especially in uh a very direct riff <laughs> very much so i mean the, the whole supermodel throwing him throwing herself at him and him being like that's weird well and a, a lot about <laughs> this a, one yeah. specifically that's because bond parody right there well, more than that, this is very specifically a parody of the most recent Bond film at the time from Russia with Love. And also this is directed by Guy Hamilton, uh, who previously directed Goldfinger, the Bond film prior to from Russia with Love. Wait, so this is the same director as Goldfinger? That was yeah. good. Yeah. Although this was good too. Yeah. No, this is great. Uh, th- yeah, this is uh, also the guy who did Goldfinger, and he'd go on to do three other Bond films later on. Oh, interesting. Which ones? Uh, I think, let me think, uh, Diamonds Are Forever, I think. He comes back for the last Connery, and uh, Live and Let Die, and Man with the Golden Gun. So okay, Live and Let so- Die is also pretty good. Mm-hmm. Now I like that one a lot. Bad. Uh, uh, they, they certainly aren't all winners. No, and he turned down for your eyes only. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's interesting, yeah. Hmm. Uh, so he, he did a bunch of Bond, and I really think this one is very specifically uh, doing From Russia With Love. But you're not familiar with From Russia With Love. You haven't seen it. Uh, well, <laughs> it's the Bond conundrum. I don't know if I have or not, like because they all kind of blur together for me. I barely remember the one that we covered a few months ago. I was like, which one is that now? Yeah, it's the one that has the same plot as this movie. It's just, right. <laughs> it's, it's one that has, you know, it's the Bond version of it. It's glossy. It's uh, mm-hmm. even, and the, the thing is that From Russia With Love is the one that, when people talk about Bond being more down to earth and more realistic, especially the Connery Bond, it's that one <laughs> that people talk ah. about the most. That's the one that they talk about is the really. Uh, there's no gadgets. There's a really, uh, really uh, celebrated fist fight in a train car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, you know, it's you compare it to this one and go like. Oh, yeah, no, that's still pretty ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll talk about that as sort of as it goes. But the basic thing with From Rush With Love is uh, there is this 
lady, this beautiful lady in the KGB, you know, she's a secretary in the KGB, and she wants to defect and escape with a code machine, and she specifically wants James Bond to come and marry her. Mm, I see. <laughs> I, I, let me guess, it's some kind of a trap, or otherwise not what it seems. She's genuine, but it is a trap, and... uh yeah i mean there's he's got to sneak her through and there it's not sure whose allegiances are real and you know he has specific contacts in the local secret service and yeah it's i mean it's not berlin in that one it's right in turkey i want to say oh, okay <laughs> i can't remember <laughs> but yeah uh so you you do see sort of the parallels already, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love when you mentioned the contact with the Secret Service. I'm just reminding, remembering a Palmer's cop friend is like, yeah. I'm not going to tell you where all these different criminals are so you can <laughs> give them work. Yeah. Well, I like that Palmer is a secret agent because he chose it over going to jail. <laughs> yeah that's uh so he just goes back and he gets back in with his criminal buddies in the places <laughs> he knows it's just some of them have gone really bad and he doesn't know it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so opening montage uh i should say this is 1966 so uh you know height of cold war really yeah, at, yeah, at the the peak of it and um it, different sort of view of it from the british point of view versus the american point of view that we normally see it from mm -hmm. I, I like the contrast here when they're showing the uh, oh god i'm gonna screw this up every single time uh, the west berlin uh where it's all like bustling and busy yeah. and it's the first thing we see like, yeah um, and then yes yeah. sorry go ahead the west bustling music uh jazzy and then the east and and we have the the curlicued it's sort of the the, the sort of uh thing you use for nazi titles mm -hmm. and and the like smash cut to the music just stopping yeah, for and, a second or two and it's the wall and and we're just sort of looking at sort of the devastation of the wall all, all the construction area of the wall the buildings cut in half by it yeah yeah, the like the whole the no man's land. But it's it, the score in this movie is very interesting, and it does sort of both of those tastes. It's got that sort of jazzy thing. There's sort of a silly polka element to it, <laughs> kind of <laughs> that pops in at times. Uh, uh, composer uh, Conrad Alfers. It's weird because sometimes it's very severe. A, a lot of it's very kind of almost funeral march kind of sound but then you have those kind of goofy polka bits <laughs> it works though it works really well yeah so we start with these workers planting some mines as uh, you do yes yeah, that was life that's that's a job you gotta do if, if you're in east berlin that's uh, a shitty job to have holy that shit sucks uh, but Fun little rescue, a, a bucket <laughs> on a crane drops from the other side, and one of the dudes runs, hops up into it, and he escapes. Yep, just shooting, uh, everybody's shooting at him, but 
it's just bouncing off the metal bucket. Yeah, great uh, big crane bucket. Yeah, I, it's just it's just funny because you don't see a silly escape over the Berlin Wall. Well, maybe you kind of do. I don't actually know. Yeah, I mean, but this you don't... is uh, this is fun. Yeah, I feel like there's not a ton of uh, escape over the Berlin Wall bits. Uh, oh, it's it's yeah. just not something that I've seen a lot of in movies. And usually, when you're doing Berlin Wall stuff, it's treated pretty seriously. Yeah, yeah. But this is a sort of a satirical movie, and you know, this is sort of a heroic thing. But yeah, he gets in a bucket and he hops over, and yeah, he he waves at them from the other side, and like, huh, <laughs> I got away. But he's not really a political guy or anything. <laughs> No, he's a pianist, and according to Palmer, not a very good one. Yeah, Palmer is really not a fan of him. I I love his. Uh, he he pops out of the uh, out of the bedroom with when the guys uh they're playing some of his music, uh the next morning on the radio to uh, talk about the news. He's like, who's that playing the piano with his elbows? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh, this is this pianist who escaped from West Germany. Like, escape? They probably paid him to leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I I love I love his one his uh, his uh, his quips. He's pretty funny in this one. He he's a little bit more confident. He's allowed to be a little bit more of the spy character in this one, mm-hmm. um, but obviously a compromised spy character, a dude who's not. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't really want to be there he's not interested in all the bullshit of the business because like he gets a call from this guy chico in his office and it's like round robin calling for chaffinch he's like what do you want chico <laughs> <laughs> use the proper protocol <laughs> yeah uh, bald eagle is expecting you at his place <laughs> it's like hey, uh, bald eagle is expecting you at the nest I'm like sure i do miss that we don't have all the different uh paperwork jokes in this one but yeah, i like got, the jokes we get yeah you got a little bit of the paperwork stuff at the end but here he's actually on assignment out in the mm-hmm. uh uh out in the field field, which is interesting that it's actually international the that in the first one he's entirely just being trolled by his own agency (laughs) yeah well yeah that's right he he thinks he's in like siberia or something but he's just in a basement in london yeah i mean this time he is doing real spy work it's just yeah. again it is just a complete fake out double blind that he he's just being used uh to do some other stuff that is totally unrelated to him mm-hmm. so he, he has to go meet ross which is bald eagle or uh, same dude from the last time his the the guy who's blackmailing him into working this job <laughs> Which is apparently a favorite technique of his. It's what he does. Yeah, this is how he gets his guys. Uh, It's it's a good way to hold things over them. And this sort of has a parallel to Psycho 2, where we have uh, work release program people abusing that. Oh, yeah. I I wasn't thinking about that, but I am now. (laughs) So it's completely, we're going to need you to come in on Saturday. 
Yeah. Well, no, I'll be in on Monday. <laughs> he's no. like, no, no, I'll I'll uh, come in on Monday, and he's like, no, your plane tickets are ready right now. Uh, so he, <laughs> he he goes to see Ross, and he's tending to his weeds. <laughs> right, his <laughs> weed garden. <laughs> his shitty, like this fucking guy, just ugly back garden of his place and like you must defend the strong against the weak which is totally his philosophy working in the secret service and defending authority against uh minor dissidents (laughs) Uh, we find out so much about this guy just in this one scene here he it's all him just expounding about himself and his thing like oh yeah i like to cultivate the thistles you should see the butterflies in the in the springtime so he gives him his assignment he has to get out this guy colonel stock who's (laughs) the head of wall operations unofficially (laughs) and a kgb operative i love he's like what do we want him yes we do (laughs) yeah he's like all right all right I'll deal with this first thing Monday morning. <laughs> it's like your plane leaves at three thirty. Uh, just it, it again in terms of the contrast to from Russia with love. There, obviously, the assignment is you need to get this beautiful woman out who is in love with you, uh, and he's <laughs> like, get a wizened old KGB Bolshevik. Uh, Oscar Homolka uh, smuggle him <laughs> through the wall. It's like this is obviously a fake out. He's the guy who runs the wall. <laughs> he can get out. <laughs> no, but you don't understand. He's being watched now. <laughs> I, I, I had it. This guy had me going until he didn't. Right. Oscar I mean, Hom- I knew something was up with him, but... Yeah, but just this guy, he, he's a very old dude. I mean, this is... he He's born in 1898, so he's already almost 70 oh at this point. <laughs> Real veteran. Like, he was a big stage guy in the 20s. Uh, Dang. He... The, the, the role that I most associate him with is... Uh, he's the bad guy in an early Hitchcock called Sabotage, uh, not Saboteur, but Sabotage, a few years earlier. Okay, okay. Where he's just, uh, he's like a, a leftist, like a fifth columnist kind of deal who puts bombs on buses and stuff. Oh, Interesting. So yeah, it was kind of interesting seeing him here. And this is like a solid thirty years after that, and I remember him looking <laughs> old there. Yeah. So anyway, he's assigned to go see, or he he has to get him. So he has to go see Hallam for his passport. I like Hallam. <laughs> Hallam's a weird dude. He uh, is really weird. I I like his uh to Ross as he's leaving. You ever thought of defecting, sir? I have. (laughs) Snotty, like, wish I could defect. Screw this. I hate this job. (laughs) 
he doesn't get to pick his own name. Oh yeah, so he goes to Hallam's place. I I like. There's a sign out. Uh, Hallam's cat is missing. Aw, Siamese cat Confucius. <laughs> and again, just it's it is constantly reinforcing how shitty their jobs are and how underpaid they are and how. Uh, just lame everything is in post-war Britain. Just the yuckiness of living in post-war Britain. It's like, oh, could I get a shilling for the meter? The electricity's out. You gotta pay the meter. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. You got, like, a coin box in your own house that you have to insert coins. That's, uh... Yeah, that stinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, that might be coming back. <laughs> oh, very well could be. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean that, and that continues all the way up into I think the Thatcher era because I remember Mister Bean gags about that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I really like how unamused Hallam is by Palmer. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, was that supposed to be the password or some kind of joke? <laughs> <laughs> He he seems like a lonely queer old man. Is, is the vibe I get vibe. from him? Yeah, yeah, I def yeah, I definitely <laughs> thought he was probably gay. And he he doesn't get the the young Palmer and his whole deal. It, it just it <laughs> it is completely foreign to him. So yeah, he gets the passport, Mister Edmund Dorf. Uh, Foreign names are more convincing. <laughs> Can't I be Rock Hunter? Rock Hunter? It's like, you aren't the type. <laughs> you take what you get. <laughs> but yeah, I really like Kane throwing out, or Palmer throwing out, I want to be Rock Hunter. <laughs> what do you think, I mean... What do you think James Bond, if he could pick any name for any fake name for himself, what do you think he'd pick? Oh, man. I mean, it would probably be I mean, a dirty name. Mm. You know, you could do like a cock hunter. <laughs> oh, you could. You could. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it would probably have to be something in the line of a pussy galore. Because oh. he, he just seems to be, you know, that's the universe in which he dwells. <laughs> Richard uh, Head. <laughs> so th it, he go he has to go through customs, and uh, th they're checking his lingerie, and he's got or they they check his luggage, and it's all women's lingerie. It's like oh samples. <laughs> I'm a salesman. <laughs> his uh, his cover is he's a women's lingerie salesman. Yeah. And his contact, uh, Johnny Vulcan who's the guy who is supposedly ferrying uh, uh, Stock through, or who has uh, been convinced by Stock. Right. And, uh, yeah, because cause Stock has convinced him, but Palmer's got to determine if he's real, too. Right. And they have a past. It, 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 the thing that got Palmer press-ganged into this job is some kind of scam that the two of them were pulling and Palmer covered for the guy and that's how he ended up here. Okay. You sort of get that through this initial conversation. It's yeah. just sort of vaguely alluded to. You don't really get what it was, but you know, they were involved in some kind of payroll scam. 
which is interesting because that must have happened because Palmer only knows him as Vulcan. So this must have happened while Vulcan was working under Ross. Yeah, so this has to have happened quite recently. And this is just the Ross thing. So so this payroll scam could have been engineered by Ross to get Palmer into the fold in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, but that that is the sort of thing Ross seems to do. There's always (laughs) wheels within wheels. I mean, that's the whole first movie. Yeah. Of course, right now we have no reason to suspect Vulcan of anything. No, necessarily. Although it is just kind of suspect that he seems to agree uh, yeah. with Stock, and Stock is just so obviously suspect. <laughs> so they're yeah. followed from the airport. Uh, there's uh, this taxi driver who is following them around for quite a while. I don't know if we ever get this guy's name. He does eventually turn up dead. He does remind me of that guy from the uh oh the the french one yeah you know what i'm talking about yeah uh, the guy's like he's left the hotel the the now OSS, he's back in the hotel the oss film uh the yeah. remake one the julien de vivier one uh which is a ton of fun at least the first one the second one <laughs> the was first one's really good. good i didn't actually like the second one it was it was very hit and miss yeah uh so we know that Johnny Vulcan is also still on suspended sentence for this thing. And so he is clearly also under Ross's thumb, even though we don't explicitly say it. It's clearly just in the background there. Yeah. He must be working yeah. for him. So the other, one of the things I love in terms of the score in this movie is just it will contrast what's actually happening so they they have just these swells of big jazzy music as they cruise through these gray streets where there's nobody (laughs) oh yeah and like just burnt out half buildings in his brown convertible (laughs) (laughs) pulls up to a gray curve and there's just this huge jazzy swell of music it's like this doesn't look cool or (laughs) (laughs) no exotic (laughs) no but it's interesting (laughs) yeah i i I just it these are the things that feel really satirical to me and i think especially of from rush with love which does do sort of this uh it you know it's really beautifully shot and it uses touristy locations to make it look cooler but this is just like yeah, and here's the wall. Walls. I mean, it looks like everything's been bombed because it did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's that field. There's a bunch of landmines there. You saw guys putting them there. Yeah. So Palmer's like, I'm sure this defection is bullshit. There's no way. <laughs> Look at the details. This is stupid. And Johnny's like, No, I'm. I'm pretty convinced. When when you talk to him, you'll you'll believe him. <laughs> so palmer goes through checkpoint charlie you know important location real hot spot uh and the airport guy is following him still we still see him there yep and palmer takes a cab to 59 uh marx engelsplatz 29 marx engelsplatz 
Uh, and it's just like all bombed out buildings the whole way. Yeah, yeah. That's about that's about all we see of the east, I think. Yeah, pretty much. pretty much. I mean, other than when we're in uh Stock's headquarters or we're in like, right, the wall itself. Yeah. And th- this place is pretty much abandoned. Uh and the cab speeds off and police just immediately show up to arrest him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love he's just like his reaction is just like, okay, I guess this is what's happening. Yeah, and it's obviously just the cover under which to bring him to Stock. Because Stock's mm. not going to meet him in some abandoned building. Well, not this time anyway. <laughs> not not when he still has the power in the, yeah. the uh, situation. But I love how little time Palmer has for any of these games. Like, he's been brought into work on a weekend and he did not want to be. It's like, man, screw you. I'm not even supposed to be. Yeah. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Yeah, exactly. I'm not supposed to be here today. I don't even give a shit about your. (laughs) I'm not even getting paid for this, really. Yeah, I mean, he kind of isn't. He's. As we learned later, he kind of wants to get a car loan so he doesn't have to walk to work anymore. <laughs> that's the sort of core plot under all of this. Yeah, that's that's what he's hoping for. It's like, oh yeah, just just complete this one job for me and we'll see about that car loan. Yeah, maybe I'll give you that car loan. It's like, cool, cool. Uh, so Stock goes over his conditions after trying to engage Palmer in a few he, he he like tries to rile him up or get him into a conversation he's like man what are the conditions just please get on with it i don't care <laughs> yeah he's all like oh yeah i want to get my daughter out you don't have a daughter you have a son come on yeah and the, the it's like uh, the, there's a thing about the wife and like we know where your wife is and <laughs> this is all bullshit just just get on with it and it's like okay uh i'm not going to snitch on anyone i'm a real bolshevik i still believe in the cause it's like well uh i i want to get uh, a nice house in the country with a big garden it's like i mean i i i'll see what i can do i can't get that man so what what do you want from me and it, also it's like you have all that here and power <laughs> like i i don't even yeah. understand why you would want to come there if, if you also believe in the business and like i you gotta convince me better but no no you see what it is is i let all these other people escape and now my bosses are mad at me and they're gonna kill me that's yeah. what it is it's i'm that. being watched closely and i need to escape because you know uh, you know i'm an, an old hero uh, I've made a lot of enemies since being an original Bolshevik revolutionary in the in like 1917. <laughs> yeah, the yeah he he has the thing about the family and Palmer's like, yeah no that's bullshit. And it's like I was just testing you. <laughs> like sure sure. Like why don't you go to the Americans? Like ah, who wants to live in America? <laughs> <laughs> And they're both like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, like he he describes them as Russians in pressed trousers, uh, and that their their revolution has gone decadent. 
I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting take. <laughs> so he's like, look, the, the bucket escape, this was so politically bad for me. Uh, so I'm thinking there's this guy, Otto Kreutzmann. He's the dude who's been planning all of these escapes. You can get him to personally handle my escape. And like, obviously at this point, <laughs> you know what he's doing. <laughs> you know what? I was still surprised when he did it. <laughs> oh, like Palmer, I think is immediately onto him. He gives him a very skeptical, like, yeah, sure. That sounds really, really <laughs> reasonable. I'm, I'm, I'm so convinced. But it's like, I guess I'll go talk to my guys. Uh, I, I'm not in charge here, so what can I say? I'll go tell them what you said, and uh, we'll we'll see where things go. So Power goes back to Johnny to get in touch with Kreutzmann, and he. He learns a bit about the economy of the wall. They're they're hanging out in this bar, and it's just all of these people in the bar work at smuggling things through the wall or importing things or uh Yeah, that would have been a big business, I guess. Yeah, kind of just a, a whole thing. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff in Atomic Blonde about that. Remember? Oh, that's right. There is too. <laughs> That so Palmer, right. So Palmer gets distracted by this beautiful blonde German lady, and he comes on to her first. Like he sees her at the checkout, and she's giving the address, and he takes the taxi because he knows it's for her. And then, as she stops him from taking the taxi, he's like, "Hey, that's my taxi." It's like, "Where are you headed?" And like. Oh, I'm just going here. I'm like, oh, well, I happen to be going right by there. I'm like, well, that's what a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> so she's a model. Her name's Samantha Steele. I bet she got to choose her own name. I bet she did. <laughs> <laughs> that's a rock hunter-like name. <laughs> she's like, would you like me to take you to a party? But they go back to her place. They have some whiskey. Uh, and he kind of pretty quickly keys in that she's maybe with Mossad. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's not con like it, it's the same thing as with with the uh, stock. It's like I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I I wasn't that convincing and I'm not that cool. Uh <laughs> you're you're some supermodel and you're like totally all over me. Uh I, I, I've gotten myself into something now. <laughs> I love the scene, the next scene with her in it. She's like, there's no way that he suspects me. There's no way. Because she even alludes to having been in the army in Israel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when she was with her ex-husband and he leaves. He's like, hmm, yeah, I don't know about that. I'm going to just go. And he goes uh, to see his inspector i love this guy inspector reinhardt as you were mentioning earlier the dude who <laughs> much like hallam very unamused by everything he's got yep uh, it's do you find me physically irresistible it's like <laughs> what palmer <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you see me and want to take me into your apartment like uh i don't know 
He's like, oh, you're so crooked. Of course they put you in intelligence. And he like putting heavy scare quotes on intelligence, just dripping with disdain. <laughs> and Palmer's like, oh, it was my sex appeal, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Again, him sort of leaning a bit more into the character that uh, could be Austin Powers' dad, which is totally the character in part three in this series. I can, uh, I can see how we would gradually like just from the first one to this one, yeah. the gradual steps. I can see how we could evolve in that direction. Yeah, the third one is a massive escalation. It's quite <laughs> ridiculous. So he is like, look into this girl steel. There's just she's obviously suspicious, and this guy Otto Rucker, this housebreaker, is he still alive? Is he still in the business? Like, this is the police station, not an employment bureau for criminals. It's like, yeah, 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 I get that. So he's still in the business. <laughs> you know how to get in touch with him? <laughs> so he calls up Sam, uh, Sam Steele, uh, Samantha. He, he calls her Sam most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... We see that both the taxi guy and Johnny are both there. So we're let in very early on that they're all in on something together that he's not in on, but he's obviously suspicious of everyone. It's interesting that Johnny's here, actually. I, did, I, I didn't realize it until you mentioned it. I mean, it's probably just an innocent threesome. She's picking up guys. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe there's an innocent explanation for it she likes to party <laughs> so uh, there's the part later he come palmer goes to her place and the place has been ransacked uh as they're coming in he's buzzing the flat because he's warning the guy who's currently ransacking it because it's this auto rooker guy that he hired there's <laughs> <laughs> like my place has been ransacked oh huh? no I, I can't imagine how that would have happened. Oh, weird. Uh, <laughs> uh, and her pearls are missing. And it's like, huh, that's strange. I didn't. Uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine why someone would steal just that. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he gets back to his place and his place has also been ransacked. And he's like, no, no, it was this other. It wasn't me. It's a, obviously a less professional job than I would do because <laughs> Rooker's just like sitting in it and like no no I didn't do this <laughs> it was someone else probably uh, so he goes over the stuff that he found in her safe she's got a ton of passports under a whole bunch of different names and the weirdest thing is she's got this little black book with a bunch of millionaires names in it <laughs> like mm -hmm. amounts next to them yeah. yeah we don't find out what that is for quite a while and he's also like, and I didn't steal any pearls. Come on, I'm a professional. Why would I do that? And Palmer obviously believes this guy. He is like a former professional associate. Yeah. So it's like, all right, uh, something weird with that check. Yeah, obviously, she's with Mossad and she's pulling some kind of scheme on me, but I don't know what it is yet. I think it's interesting that he trusts all the criminals, but is immediately mistrustful, and rightly so, of anyone with any kind of uh, government or military affiliation. Yeah, again, it does have that anti-authoritarian nature of the first one, while 
still fitting into more of an actual spy movie template. Mm -hmm. So Bomber goes to meet Johnny at the nightclub Chanus. Uh, and th th he goes on a double date with Samantha Steele. Uh, but he's called away to, uh, uh, there's someone uh, on the phone says, follow the man with the green carnation. <laughs> he gets to do one of these. <laughs> Some spy shit. Uh, <laughs> and he's taken to meet Kreutzmann. And Kreutzmann's just kind of a dick. And they're driving around with him and he's uh, going over his terms. And they're like, we want $100,000 uh, which is at thirty-five thousand pounds of your money. I was like, "You're joking." <laughs> <laughs> they've only budgeted sixty thousand for this. Yeah, they they budgeted sixty thousand for this. You can take it or leave it. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not, not going to argue with them. I don't care. <laughs> this I'm is not getting job. more out of financial. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think this is stupid, and it's all bullshit. And he <laughs> will not say who his guy is. He's not yeah. telling them, because uh, obviously they would then be like, <laughs> come on, are you kidding me? There's no way. Uh, you're going to break your, basically, uh, the why. The, if you're the Roadrunner, you're going to break Wiley Coyote out of, out of West Ber or East Berlin. Yeah, it, it's completely <laughs> absurd. But they agree, and one of their special requests is they want some official documents in exchange uh they're they're looking for documents on this particular person although they don't say i think here quite who it is we get that a little bit later the uh paul louis broom stuff yeah so what this is is he's saying we want documents that are like that fit this this and this and this criteria and oh look the only one that does is paul louis broom how about that Hmm. So next day, Palmer decides he's going to just do a sort of a, a calling of uh, stocks of bluff. Like, oh, I'm going to yeah. move him tonight. And, uh, just a, a shock move right now. And he gets him to go to uh, uh Mark Engelsplatz again. Uh, to sh sh He gets him to actually show up there to meet him. And he does show up. Palmer's actually surprised that he shows up, so he calls it off. Yeah, he's like, oh, wow, you, huh, you actually here. came here. Holy fuck. I'm, I'm surprised. Anyway, couldn't do it tonight. It, it falls along, yeah, it falls work. along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, vibes are off. Just messing with you. Uh, so Palmer reports to Ross, and this is where he brings up his uh, request for an 800-pound loan so he can buy a car. And Ross tells him to get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's not even a we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, is that a maybe? <laughs> and th there is a paperwork sequence here. He has to sign all sorts of paperwork because they, they're assigning him a gun. Uh, he Basically, the thing is, he asks about the car and like, we'll assign you a gun and some paperwork. Now, get out. <laughs> And he goes to see Hallam again. He's like, ah, rock hunter. <laughs> <laughs> so he has all the documents, which are all of these certificates for Paul Louis Broom, uh, right. who is deceased, according yep. to these papers. Death certificate. And he's like, shall we resurrect him? <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah, we don't know who this Paul Louis Broom character is yet, although the understanding is he's in this Mossad book and he has millions in gold that is probably stolen from the Jews by the Nazis. Mm, and he's That's generally what we would expect. Yeah. And supposedly dead. Supposedly dead. I mean, there was a certificate, right? The paperwork says he is, so he must be. Right. So he meets with Chico, uh, the guy from earlier, Round Robin, at the airport. Uh, and he's got a bunch of prints from uh, Otto, Otto's camera uh, that, that he took uh, of her stuff uh, in, in the safe, which right, has right. Paul, Paul Louise Broom uh, in the list, in the diary, with the big, big dollar amount next to it. Yeah, like two million or something. Yeah, some two million dollars in his Swiss account. So he goes to see Samantha, obviously, and he's got some <laughs> pearls for her. It's like here to replace the pearls that were stolen. He's like, oh yeah, I did say that, didn't I? <laughs> and they kind of recognize that they burgled each other and sort of cop to it. It's like yeah. okay. All right, spies recognizing spies. Like we we got it. Look, we're we're both in the business. So let's just be real about this. Yeah. And she's like, okay, this Paul Louis Broom, he's on the hit list for Mossad, and that's who I'm working for. He's got these two million dollars in a Swiss account. We want it. We want to get it before he gets it. And he's like, I don't know who Paul Louis Broom is. It's really a random name that was given to me. I know fuck all. He's like, I, I have no idea who that is. I, I don't really know any of this stuff, but I just have this other job. This is what I'm doing, and I can't give you these documents because they have to go to these guys. Yeah. And she <laughs> claims that she's falling in love with him out of nowhere, <laughs> which he's not dumb. He's He does not <laughs> fall for that for a second. And she's also... <laughs> Basically, like, we will kill you for the papers if we have to. M you know, my yeah. my organization, we're Mossad, we will kill you. It's, it's kind of our thing. Yeah. So Power's like, good to know, good to know. He goes to see Rikard again. Some more criminal networking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the forger Klaus Berger, is he still around? And like, I've had it with you, Palmer. <laughs> yeah, 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 I get you, but... You know, maybe you could get in touch with him. Like, get out of here. <laughs> so Palmer goes to Kreutzmann. He confirms the extraction. Kreutzmann and these two guys go execute some old guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this whole plan just involves random human sacrifice for it to work. They just murder some dude to yep. use him as a... Uh use his coffin as the escape route which um yeah i mean it, it does make kreutzmann completely unlikable and you, you don't feel bad for him <laughs> mm -hmm. even though he's supposedly doing uh some sort of positive business and uh, smuggling people out so well, Palmer goes to meet with kreutzmann on the roof of the mercedes building that was kind of a cool location yeah yeah we do see a lot of uh the mercedes logo in this movie i wonder if they paid for it maybe probably not i mean it, it, this isn't like a super high budget thing oh true you know uh 
it was it, that, you know, a UK production. Yeah, um, and I guess that was also kind of less of a thing back then. Yeah, I mean, it, it's always been a thing. Like, it goes all the way oh. back to the 20s, but... Oh, okay. Uh, not super common. Not not as prominent, I guess. But mm. maybe. I. It's just, it's the most exotic location Palmer's ever been in. The roof of the Mercedes <laughs> building with the rotating <laughs> logo. It's just like, hey, that's cool. <laughs> oh, Palmer lives such a boring life, <laughs> despite doing all this. Yeah. So Kreutzmann is going to personally handle the extraction. Uh, and Palmer goes to tell Stock the whole plan. Stock is just dunking on his shitty job. This is something everybody does. Everybody knows what he gets paid. He makes 30 <laughs> pounds a week. Which uh, I calculated. <laughs> I, I did. I spent like half an hour figuring out what that translated into. Uh, like converting currencies, adjusting for inflation, all that. Right. He makes just shy of 30 bucks an hour if we assume he works 40 hours a week which we know that he doesn't yeah it's hard to imagine that he does although he has just like weird hours obviously they call him out on weekends all the time and yeah he's just working full-time like literally oh, yeah. full-time he's on call for 30 dollars an hour which isn't good enough uh yeah no he's he's actually making way less than yeah. thirty dollars per hour worked. Yeah, it's it's like it's more salary. Uh, yeah, and yeah. just everybody knows exactly how much he makes. Nobody knows who he is. That's his contrast <laughs> with Bond. Every, you know, Bond shows up and it's like, oh, it's fucking James Bond. It's like <laughs> you with your fucking shitty pay and your lame job. You, you think you're gonna tell me something? I'm a heroic Bolshevik. I was there in 1917. I stormed at the Winter Palace myself. <laughs> so the plan they're gonna fake his death and smuggle him out in this coffin that we saw them kill this old guy for <laughs> yep there's going to be a rather expensive funeral in berlin well the title woo! <laughs> so we see the old guy that the 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 kreutzmann's guys murdered loaded into a coffin as uh, in east berlin yeah, somewhere in the east. Uh, and somewhere along the way in the hearse, someone gets hit with the wrench. And then two hearses meet, and there's an envelope exchanged somewhere. And one of the hearses, it's not clear which of them, uh, crosses checkpoint Charlie. Yeah. Well, the other one just hides somewhere. Yeah. And the envelope is what gets them through they show the envelope and it's what allows them through the uh gate and they just leave the coffin in no man's land and drive off <laughs> uh, i love that part they just unceremoniously dump it yeah and a bunch of those dudes have to like a bunch of the the spies and uh kreutzmann's guys have to come pick up the coffin and carry it to a, another hearse waiting on the other side <laughs> yep <laughs> And they take it to this abandoned warehouse, and Kreutzen's men open up the coffin. Uh, and at first, they're just busy with the money and everything. And Palmer's like, you want to open that thing up so this dude isn't going to suffocate? He's like, we know our business. Chill out, chill out. And they finally open it up, and it's Kreutzman, and he's dead. Oh, my God! <laughs> the guy who's in charge of the wall was did all of this as a trap to lure out the guy who gets people over the wall? 
and immediately they suspect Palmer. <laughs> Palmer's like, hey guys, no, you guys got played, but not by me. Yeah, he's like, well, this could have been expected. And like, I had nothing to do with this. Obviously, I've just been doing this thing uh, every step of the way with you, but Obviously, I didn't have anything to do with this. I'm like, it had to be you, Palmer. And like, how though? And then Johnny knocks him out with the wrench. Yeah, like, look out, Palmer, they're coming, thwack. Yeah. And uh, Kreutzmann's guys take the money, but they leave the file, the Paul Louis Broom file. But then the taxi driver and Samantha Steele show up in a car all of a sudden, and she takes the documents. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, I was like, why did they leave the file? Oh, yes. I, I know why they left the file. Yeah. It makes and, sense now. And Palmer wakes up in time to see her and the taxi driver there together, and they share a look, but she drives off with the document. Mm -hmm. Johnny's like, the driver hit hit us, hit uh, you and me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I was definitely hit too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, so uh, what are you going to tell London? <laughs> and he's like, I don't know. Guess Let's I've get out some... of here. <laughs> I've got I really... some fiction to write. Yeah, I've got some fiction to write. I do really love his, I don't know, just a long sigh. <laughs> like, Let's get out of here. <laughs> it's like, this sucks. I just lost. What a bummer. <laughs> I'm not getting my car loan. Uh, yeah. So they go back to Johnny's office and someone grabs them. It's like, you got to come see Ross urgently <laughs> debriefing. <laughs> and Ross talks to Palmer and it's like, so who's this Paul Louis Broom? Like, yeah, I fucking know who Paul Louis Broom is. How, how did this not get to me? I'm like, this is because you're keeping shit from me. This is because you don't give me enough information to work with. If you knew this guy, I could have dealt with this earlier. Why Why didn't you say anything? And like, well, you know, it's it's how I do business. Uh, <laughs> uh, Paul Louis Broom, that's Vulcan. <laughs> and at this point, I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah, he... He was a guard at Belson, uh, and uh, there was some resistance fighter that he shot, and he took his uniform, and he's just been masquerading as Johnny Vulcan ever since. <laughs> you know, he's working for me. He's under the same sort of deal you are. <laughs> Palmer? I'm like, anyway, kill him for me. <laughs> now that his secret has been found out by you, I guess. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I don't kill people. What? <laughs> <laughs> no. And uh, I was like, I mean, sorry, but it's the job. Yeah, you're going to kill that guy. I, I don't care how you do it. He's like, I can't kill a man in cold blood. And he's like, well, I guess you'll have to get him into a fight first then, won't you? <laughs> I do love a bit earlier when he's talking to ross he mentions about the girl and it's like oh yeah no you see the girl picked up me and ross is like well you have <laughs> right. to write it that way to be able to expense it right yeah sure it's like yeah sure she came on to you buddy that seems real likely yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's like that's, that's what, what i'm saying, saying. <laughs> yeah so they uh, 
Palmer is driving away with Johnny and he tells him, he, he's like, pull over. Look, I know all the Paul Louis Broom stuff. All right. I'm on to you. And Ross told me to kill you. I'm not going to do that. I feel weird about that. So you need to disappear. Just get out of town. I don't care what you do. And, you know, Vulcan, he shows himself to be still shitty. He blames the Jews. <laughs> like, oh, it was the Jews. That's why the I lost the papers. Everything would have been fine if I could have got those documents there. Yep. And then Palmer's just walking down the street in, in West Berlin, and who should drive up but Stock? <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I'm here on business. Hey. Uh, well, here on official business. Hey, come on, buddy. Why don't I treat you to lunch? We we had good times, didn't we? <laughs> I love it. He just <laughs> gloats. Yeah, he's really happy. Like everything worked out great. This was perfect. Uh, you know, I'm, I've saved face. I just it was great. Thanks so much for your help. Uh, and Palmer does another joke about like, well, maybe uh, I might need to come over to your side sometime. Maybe you could help me through. <laughs> <laughs> so Johnny goes to see the taxi driver guy. Uh, I think at Samantha's apartment and goes to get back the documents. Yeah. Uh, and we don't see it, but he definitely murders the taxi driver dude. Oh yes. Oh yes. He goes back to Hallam and he gives Hallam the documents. Uh, they have this secret meetup in a museum because Hallam's also involved in this fucking <laughs> conspiracy. Yeah. I mean, everybody's involved. It's so complicated. So, all right, here's what I figured out: uh, Vulcan, Hallam, Vulcan slash Broom, Hallam, and Kreutzman were working together uh, to get Vulcan slash Broom's documents back, so that he can stop being under Ross's thumb, and they can get the two million dollars. Yeah, and they can get the two million dollars. Stock's whole thing was just to kill Kreutzman. He doesn't know or care about Broom. Right. And Hallam just wants out of this whole thing as well. Yeah. I, I guess Hallam is maybe in a similar situation to both of them, but he's been in it a really long time and he's very tired of it. Well, they he said they were gonna like let him go or force him into retirement or fire him or oh, maybe that was yeah. an while. Right, no, they, they say that he's a security risk, which I think he I is. I mean, he is. He did this whole scheme. So they've been scheming to get the $2 million in... It's actually uh, his father's Swiss bank account. Uh, not money that he stole. He was just kind of a fuck-up who right. worked as a guard and killed some guy and stole his identity. Anyway, Hallam looks at the documents like, well, these are forgeries. They're really good, but they're not they're fake. I mean, it's obvious they're they're not on the right kind of paper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, what but didn't you make it didn't you give these to him? Yeah, and it's like, yeah, I gave them to Palmer, so he obviously still has them. Because <laughs> these aren't real. <laughs> so we go to see Palmer picking up the real documents in a safety deposit box. And he goes to Samantha's apartment huh. uh, and it's been tossed again. The driver's dead. We know probably yeah. that Vulcan did it. Oh, yeah. He's, he seems like the type. 
Uh, and one of the other Mossad guys are, shows up and obviously he thinks Palmer is the guy who did the killing and now Palmer's in trouble with the Mossad. You don't want to be there. Mm-mm. Palmer manages to punch the guy out. It's a good, you know, his one big spy action moment. He punches a dude out. <laughs> I do find it funny to imagine because he doesn't look like a punchy guy. Yeah, I mean, you kind of get it in these early Kane ones. He does have kind of a, a dangerous energy to him. Uh, he, he's got kind of a wild energy. Hmm. So Hallam comes to see Palmer. Uh, he he's on Ross's orders. He says to reclaim those documents. It's you know we don't want to lose those documents. Ross wants me to get those uh, taken care of. Yep. <laughs> and Palmer just easily overpowers him because he he like he brings he holds him at gunpoint. But Palmer's like, oh yeah, let's just go into the bathroom. I've got them in there. And he just holds his arm behind his back and he does like a the playground thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Say uncle. I won't say uncle. <laughs> he literally just twists his arm and is like, where's Vulcan? What's he up to? I, I'm tired of this. <laughs> and this is where Helen's like, they're going to kick me out because I'm a security risk. I don't think I'm a security risk. I, I've been <laughs> doing this job for so long and I panicked because they said that. So I... <laughs> Sold everyone out, and I made all these deals. <laughs> yeah, all these deals. It's not just this one, apparently. So they go to encounter Paul Louis Broom because they know he's going to be escaping over the wall to the east in this case. This case. He's going to get smuggled to the east and go on to Czechoslovakia and something to get to the bank account. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> it's excessively complex i mean european politics in general is complex <laughs> yeah so palmer gives hallam the documents and he's like you go in ahead and give them to broom and just keep him talking right and palmer goes in just shortly after and he finds hallam dead stabbed in the in the back on the stairs <laughs> uh and palmer leaves the gun leaves the gun on uh, Hallam's body like he he takes his own gun out and leaves it with him mm -hmm. so he goes unarmed yep uh, and obviously Samantha and her other Mossad guy are lurking outside the whole time we keep cutting to them just kind of looking around for Paul Louis Broom to kill slash I think they're mainly looking for Palmer right now I, because okay. they think Palmer killed the other Mossad agent that's why the coat thing yeah that's okay. why the coat thing yeah uh, so they're okay. not actually looking for paul louis broom but he thinks they are like they want the documents because <laughs> yeah. they want to get a hold of his money they don't even know that paul louis broom is going to be here yeah they don't know who he is they've been working <laughs> with him and they're not aware that it's him yeah yep <laughs> and, and palmer's like well you know they're they're going to shoot you immediately if they see you with that fur coat yeah, Vulcan holds him up. Uh, he, he gets the drop on him, and Harry's totally unarmed. He's like, no, don't worry. I, you can search me. I got nothing. Uh, but listen, Hallam told Ross everything, and Ross's men are outside, out to get you. It's Ross's guys out there. Yeah. <laughs> and 
Vulcan doesn't really buy it, but then he sees one of the Mossad people go past and is like, oh shit, they are out there. <laughs> yep. And Palmer, he's distracted enough, so Palmer gets the gun away. They grapple. Vulcan gets the gun back because Palmer's not very good at this stuff. This mm-hmm. is what he does. But yeah, there's the thing where they trade coats. And like, as soon as they see that fancy fur coat of yours, uh, so they, they trade. Yeah. <laughs> And they have to cross no man's land, but Palmer just does a duck and roll and jumps into some ruins. <laughs> yeah, he just is like, oh, out of here. Like, whoop. And Broom shoots at him, which draws attention and uh, is like, don't stop. And the Mossad people gun him down. He's wearing Palmer's outfit and they think it's Palmer. Yep. <laughs> and Sam tells the guy to shoot. Yeah, she <laughs> does hesitate is... at first, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Johnny's gunned down, and Harry then steps out and drops the coat over him. He's like, the documents are in his pocket. This is Broom. Uh, I didn't kill anyone. This was all a misunderstanding. Uh, and I'm unarmed, I'm leaving, and just shares a final look with Sam. Not not a very pleasant one. <laughs> <laughs> So, interestingly, in the report to Ross, he kind of spins the broom thing. He he keeps him as Vulcan, and he spins it as a martyrdom of him escaping to the West. Right. Uh, to, you know, give it a little extra boost. And Ross is pretty pleased with that. And is like, hey, I'm impressed. You, you've kind of done some good creative fiction work. You've made this look good politically for the company. I will give you that car loan after all. But Palmer turns it down. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to owe Ross anything on the books or off the books or anywhere. Also, just a matter of it leaves a bad taste in his mouth that uh, all these like this guy had to die for him to get it. That he was assigned yeah. to kill this guy, and he basically got this guy killed. And all these people died over this thing, and he knew it was bullshit from the beginning. They made him come into work on a weekend for this shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that too. <laughs> and again, a very different from from Russia with Love, where the plot is they smuggle them out and then they uh, have a camera over the bed in the motel room that they stay in so that they can film a sex tape of James Bond to blackmail him with. <laughs> How are you going to blackmail James Bond with a sex tape? I mean, it's a really big plot hole. <laughs> Soon, everyone will learn that James Bond has sex with beautiful women. Like, the idea is to discredit the British Secret Service, but it's like, it's <laughs> what he does. I don't know. This is what he's known for. Uh, it just makes him cooler. I, I don't yeah. understand the idea there. No, but I don't get is, it. <laughs> that's from Rush With Love, so... It's it's fun to contrast the two of them. <laughs> this was really fun. I liked this one. It's good. I don't think it's quite as good as the Ipcress file, especially stylish. Uh, mm. the, the the stylistic nature of Ipcress file, the the way the camera is always, you know, shooting from covert angles in that one. Right. Yeah. That this one doesn't really have that. Uh, yeah. This one's pretty straightforward. You know, mm. it looks kind of like a Bond movie. Because it's made by a guy who made four Bond movies. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I like it. Michael Caine is funny. 
Yeah, it's pretty good stuff. So, uh, as always, when we're doing a box set, we uh, will be replacing this in the stacks with either the next one or the final one in the set, uh, which is Billion Dollar Brain uh, from the following year. <laughs> Man, it's... I kind of want to guess what that's going to be about, but I don't think I can. Uh, this one, he's actually working as a private investigator at this oh, point. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, and then a mechanical voice calls him, and he has to retrieve a virus. Okay, sure. Like there, there's a stolen super virus, and uh, he has to go retrieve it, and there's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's insane there's a whole worldwide spy network he he has to deal with uh i, I think stock is back in this one. Oh, good I, he's fun uh it's been a while since i've seen it it goes completely crazy like i i've mentioned before there's a part near the end where he is in a mini tank fighting just a whole bunch of soviet tanks and what? <laughs> the Beatles back in the USSR is playing. That doesn't like, things like have gone Harry so yeah, things have gone totally <laughs> nuts by that point. Holy shit. That sounds fun though. <laughs> it's pretty good. I think one thing that's unfortunate is uh the Beatles song, they've never been able to license it for any home video releases, so it just that that doesn't play out with the music any in any uh current home video versions. Oh, oh shoot. It's kind of a drag, but you know, it's the only way you can release the movie. It's yeah. Music rights. Oh my God. Yeah. It's such a, th I barely understand how it works. I don't really get it. So we could either do that or the next one in the Sartana box. Which oh, is that's right. <laughs> Sartana's here. Trade your pistol for a coffin. Uh, this, this is a different Sartana, uh, Johnny Garco replaced with George Hilton, uh, but it, it, a similar style to the previous one. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of gadget heavy. Uh, there's lots of twists. Uh, it, there's obviously a stolen shipment of gold that everybody's Ooh. trying to get a hold of. Although when is there not? <laughs> and in this one, there is another gunfighter named Sabata, but not based on the existing Sabata character, which is a Lee Van Cleef character. Oh, okay. Uh, he's a guy who dresses all in white, quotes Shakespeare and Tennyson, and he's obviously <laughs> going to be the antagonist. <laughs> well, that sounds a lot of fun, but... Uh... Why don't we finish up Harry Palmer before we get into get back to Sartana? I do want to get back to him, but yeah. not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Well, we'll finish Funeral and or we'll we'll do Billion Dollar Brain, add that on, and uh, we'll probably get to that soon, and then we'll be back into Sartana land. It's it has been a while. <laughs> it has. Well, we've done two of these since yeah. then. Yeah, and then yeah, that's right, and all sorts of other stuff. All right, well, do you have any last thoughts on Funeral in Berlin before we move on to part two? Uh, hmm. Something about the cost of having to do multiple funerals in Berlin for all the people who died. But then, no, this this joke was not 
didn't work. Didn't come up with it in time. All right. Well, on to <laughs> part two. And we're back for part two, where we've got three more films to talk about, starting with 1983's Psycho 2, the uh, 23 later, 23 year later sequel to the Alfred Hitchcock classic, which we covered back in October, I believe. Around there, yep. Not that uh, long ago, anyway. Yeah, pretty recently, which was your first viewing of it, so pretty fresh in your mind, I suspect. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, quite. Uh, from director Richard Franklin, who, according to his Wikipedia page, was inspired to become a filmmaker by seeing Psycho at the age of 12 in theater. Hmm. <laughs> so this this must have been huge for him getting to make this movie. Yeah, and he's clearly a student of Hitchcock, so it does have a real Hitchcock feel to it. Uh, as some of his own films do. Uh, Road Games is really great. Oh, cool. Uh, I... Road Games, just a couple years earlier, I want to say, it has Stacey Keach and Jamie Lee Curtis driving around on the highway in Australia being tracked by a slasher in a vehicle. Oh, that's interesting. So that's that, an interesting really thought. And it's very Hitchcock-y. So good shit. Uh, we'll totally have to watch it sometime. Cool, cool. Uh, this is a flasher too. It is. And definitely more of a, like, it is an actual slasher film. Like, it, it's uh, taking in the innovations in the genre of the previous five years very much and bridging that to the original Psycho in a surprisingly effective way. Like, I didn't expect this to be anywhere near as good as it was. This is a movie no. I had been putting off seeing all these years because it's like, how do you make a, a sequel to Psycho 23 <laughs> years later in the 80s as a slasher movie? It's going to be, I don't know. So it took a really long time, especially because I knew it was a big studio project. If it were a silly knockoff, I probably would have gotten to it sooner because I knew I, I would have just gone in expecting trash and gotten trash. Uh, what I didn't expect is just a good movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I was expecting, I was expecting hot garbage. I was expecting a cash in. Like, hey, we got the psycho uh, We got this psycho property just sitting here. And you know, uh, notably, Hitchcock had died just a few years earlier. So it's like we can maybe touch this property now. He's not going <laughs> to complain if we do. <laughs> Whereas definitely prior to that, like, because eh. his last film, not his last film, actually, uh, his last film's family plot. And it's just bizarre, kind of a comedy. Uh, but the one prior to that is Frenzy, which is sort of his own slasher film. Oh, OK. Which is sort of interesting. I mean, he's more of a strangler. It's a dude who strangles with ties, but it's got a lot of the language of the slasher movie in it. Oh, so interesting. interesting to see Hitchcock's own take on it versus this, which is a slasher take on his own property. I mean, also, one of the big things about this is Perkins is back and he is so good still like he's still oh, perfect man. in the role. He has 20 years and he still has not lost this character. Not in the slightest. Like it no. just <laughs> he, he's completely inhabiting Norman. Uh, physicality is like dead on. Uh, just uh, the facial expressions. Facial expressions. Yeah. <laughs> he's got such a 
he he can really pull a, an absolutely furious face and also a very what the fuck is going on right now I'm like oh shucks i can't imagine what's happening uh, and <laughs> i i guess that's the the great trick of this is that it is an effective whodunit it's full of yes. twists and there are there are a lot of surprises i'm not a giant i'm not a giant fan of maybe the last one the last twist or it depends the, on oh, just the the the, the one who's yeah yeah, yeah. just that, that it's i i always kind of hate a reveal of uh, a secret uh sibling or mother or bloodline any of that stuff is kind of wow. annoying to me but okay otherwise. but consider how do we know that that person's telling the truth nobody else was true it could just be bullshit it's just it's <laughs> one of my least favorite types of twists and it's so common to the slasher genre because mm -hmm. just everybody's doing it it's always you always bring in some secret relative and it's like why do I care? The the thing that's <laughs> scary about the slasher is the randomness that it's just someone who is just mindlessly killing for the love of killing, not because they have some kind of personal animosity towards you. <laughs> well, okay, if you don't like the twist, how do you feel about how Norman handles the twist? Oh, that's great. <laughs> I mean, it's I think Everything around it works. Oh yeah, no, the ending is tremendous, and I it does actually make me really excited to watch the next one, which I'll definitely get to soon. Have Have you seen Psycho Three yet? No, I have not yet. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So we open with uh, previously on Psycho, without the narrative, of I, course. We see it's just the shower scene. It is the shower scene, which we, is we great. Watch the shower scene again, which. Yeah, I mean, it's iconic. Well, it's super um, iconic, and it serves a couple really great purposes. One, it's just, it is the public view of that movie. When people think of Psycho, they think of that shower scene. That's the most famous sequence. And it gives you everything you need to know. It's all <laughs> of the most important stuff, and you can pick up the rest of it. Um, and... Of course, it, it prepares you to then see the scene redone later with a new riff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm glad they didn't just do it again. Yeah. I, I, I almost expected them to. Yeah, it's it's a good riff on it. Uh, I mean, of course, if you want to see them just do it again, there is the 1998 Psycho, which is a shot-for-shot yeah. shot remake. <laughs> if I want to see uh, 90s just somebody... If I want to see somebody with a camera doing all the shots for Psycho, I'll just watch Psycho. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the, it's just the worst version. Uh, and they, they add some sound effects that are unpleasant. <laughs> right, right. You were telling me. Oh, man. Yeah. And could you imagine 20 years later, Vince Vaughn trying to play this Norman Bates? No. Well, maybe. <laughs> no, he's too scuzzy. You, you would not yeah. believe that he's reformed there's no way oh yeah i can I'm, see vince vaughn oh. in dennis franz's role though oh for sure yeah he could play that guy a hundred percent but no i i cannot imagine him because let, let me think we're at we're yeah no we're around there a 2021 would have been the year so that's i'm thinking uh 2021 
uh, Vince Vaughn in this role. No, no. you wouldn't believe it for a second. He just mm -mm. like, we're not letting this guy out. This is the guy who <laughs> is like killing other prisoners in prison still. <laughs> yeah. He, well, I mean, I, I don't buy him as Norman to begin with, but he'd be in Rob Zombie's Psycho too. Uh, <laughs> now imagining Rob Zombie's Psycho Two in that. <laughs> Let's talk about a better Psycho Two. Yeah, Let's this, talk about the great. one that exists. All right. <laughs> so after we get our our flashback to uh, the preview, the shower scene. Yeah. Uh, we we flash forward to present day, twenty two years later, nineteen eighty three, I believe. And uh, Norm is getting relieved. He's he's uh, got his stamp on his hand that says not insane anymore. Yeah, he's being let out of jail on good behavior. They say he's cured. Well, yeah, not jail. He's been no, no, institutionalized uh, the, and they feel uh, yeah, that the, he's cured. Yep. Uh, but one person uh, is really, really not happy about that. Lila uh, Crane. Uh, I The other thing about the, the movie that I am kind of... A little mixed on uh how they how they handle lila yeah she just it it is maybe a bit much that she has been i mean the spoilers obviously but she's been driven insane i guess and now she's killing well no she isn't killing anybody well although we're supposed to believe that she might be yeah i mean but she is going pretty far and oh she is she's going She's kind of closely involved in the killings, and right, it's her. It, it's okay. her and her daughter. Yeah, it is her daughter, right? So it's, I, I, it's been a, a couple weeks. So, it, uh, Meg Tilly's character is she the daughter of Sam and Lila? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a late, late reveal, but yeah, because uh, obviously. Twists within twists within twists. <laughs> this is the crazy, complicated plot and twist episode. Yeah, I mean, like I, 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 the those are my problems with it is that the twists do involve so many secret family members, which is just such an annoying cliche to me at this point, especially from like the Halloween series where it's the worst. Well, yeah. Uh, well. Here it kind of works, although it also kind of makes Lila even more of a monster because she truly believes that Norman Bates isn't cured. So she's sending her daughter to go live with him. Uh, right. And that's fucked up. And they're actively trying to make him have some kind of dangerous episode by <laughs> poking yeah, at him. So you know like, what he does when you poke at him? Yeah, I mean, he exactly. Kills people. He he tends to kill people in the past. That's been the issue, and they're yeah. sort of willing to do that. And they're, you know, when he does ultimately, or when people ultimately start showing up dead, she's not remorseful about it or anything. No, no, she's like, this is great. We can use this. Screw whoever really killed it. We can get Norman behind bars again. Yeah, and I don't know, it, it it does feel kind of unfair to this character who, I mean, maybe she, I don't really have much of an impression of her as a character from the first movie. She's 
kind of just there to do the investigating. She's sort of a Nancy Drew. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I kind of chalk it up to 22 years is a really long time and a lot can change in that for a person. And- True. I mean, it, it's just a weird thing for the, the end for this character is strange that she has just gone so off the rails by this. I Maybe part of it's the loss of Sam that uh, Sam Loomis has recently died, I think. Oh, Donald Pleasance is still... A, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, he has died. I don't... I don't recall how long ago he's died. I don't think it's really directly stated, but they do mention that he has passed. So maybe that's part of it. But yeah, it just her obsession over it is a little bit. It it feels weird, but I mean, obviously you would want to protest against this. Uh, I like, I get that he, he did murder her sister. Yeah. And like this movie kind of asks, although it doesn't, necessarily answer the question of like should people who have killed but then served their time and mended their ways should they get a second chance well i think specifically serial killers like is it possible for a serial killer to ever be reintegrated into society uh and like if, if, for instance ed gein who is who Norman Bates is originally based on Ed Gein obviously was never reintegrated into society. He was very happy living in an institution for the rest of his life. That was mm-hmm. a very satisfying way for him to spend the rest of his days. He was totally cool with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we seem to got better, just not better enough. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a thing where he had these urges to dig up the dead. That was his thing. Uh, and, it wasn't really something that was ever really going to go away for him. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he was happy. He was comfortable. Uh, what, what, he's going to return to poverty. He's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But fortunately for Norman, he just gets to go right back to the life he had somehow. His right. house is still there. The motel is still there. The motel has been seized by the government as an asset and put back into business which is kind of an interesting uh, thing in this movie. That <laughs> there, There's some interesting uh, commentaries on the justice system in this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the hotel has been put back into business, but as, uh, well, it's an become a drug hotel. hotel. Uh, an adult hotel, yeah. as yes. uh, Norman describes it later. Uh, I think run... it's one of those adult hotels. <laughs> so... being, being run by Dennis Franz as just the sleaziest sleazebag. He's so good in this. Oh, man, he's great as, like, the deadest dead meat. He's just such an asshole. Uh, and he's been running it basically for drugs and prostitution. The And he's mm-hmm. got his own stash, and he's just, like, always running porn in the back room. Yep. And uh... obviously that's not going to go well with Norman, who is a extraordinarily repressed man (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but we don't get to that just yet first well first we meet his doctor robert loja robert loja who for a half second i suspected him of being responsible for everything but as far as i could tell he's actually a good person yeah i don't think he ever did anything wrong uh i mean i i don't know that he was right in letting norman out (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he 
well, he's confident or he acts confident that Norman's going to be just fine. He's like, I'm going to be there for you if you need anything. It sucks that we, because of the comebacks, we don't have regular social workers to check in on you, which, you know, maybe maybe he needs that. Probably needs that. Uh, (laughs) He, 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 I I mean, it, it is hard to say where Norman's mental state is during this film. He is yeah. arguably not insane. Uh, maybe the entire movie. He makes pretty rational decisions most of the time. It's just there is a period of time where he does seem to be insane to the people around him, but most of what he's saying does seem to be true. The the He's just being tormented by different groups. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's the interesting thing about about it because as you're watching every time you suspect somebody we see a shot and, and another thing i love about this is the same thing i liked with snake eyes you all it's shot in such a way that you always know where everybody is mm-hmm. so every time you see like say somebody in the window the person you think it is we see them somewhere else so they couldn't possibly be the person in the window right and then we find out that there's at least three people pretending to be his mother. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there who are dressing up as Norma Bates. And <laughs> I I don't think it's ever Norman in this movie. Uh, in this one, it is not. Norman does one kill himself. He does and, kill someone. Uh, and I think he's allowed to do this one. But he's sort of quasi-involved in another one in a weird sort of way. One that's just kind of the sort of the big climactic thing. Oh, yeah. Where that yeah. that's just sort of a strange scene, and I don't that's entirely know how to read it. But uh yeah, his doctor letting him out, I don't know how right he is. It does seem like Norman is maybe probably pretty good when he gets out things don't go great but he's really being pushed <laughs> oh man um by everybody the except this doctor basically yeah <laughs> he goes to live in his old house which is somehow exactly almost exactly the same as it's been left he's still got the tea in the cupboard he just boarded it up yeah. uh or maybe someone else put that there could be that you know (laughs) i did find it weird that there were knives but yeah there are as we said before at least three people prowling around his house without his knowledge yeah so like there it is possible that a lot of it was just kept there because clearly like all the furniture and stuff is original and they just boarded it up they it wasn't worth auctioning off because it's next to this sleazy motel they're running that's where the actual money is coming in it's like eh what are we going to do with this big ornate uh, mansion type house? Nobody's going to buy this thing. Well, you know what you can do with this big ornate mansion is you could use it as the set for a psycho two. Right. Well, it's... so that's the thing. This is still the exact same one because I think they left the set standing all those years because it was a cool attraction on the universal or not universal. Uh, yeah. Universal, the universal backlot. Which yeah, is, I, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that you can tour there, like the Back to the Future set, you oh, know, the the downtown. Uh, of, oh yeah, with th- the clock and everything. Yeah, that's in tons of stuff. That's in so many things. Uh, that oh, cool. That goes back to the '50s. That's in Twilight Zone episodes. Oh, I didn't know that. Holy yeah. shit! I think the first okay. episode of Twilight Zone 
takes place in that downtown. So the Universal Backlot, they just had it there the whole time. It's like, well, we've still got this asset. <laughs> uh, oh, man, it is so effectively used, too. It's great. Um, oh, I didn't talk about, like, after the flashback, um, the original Psycho, of course, is filmed entirely in black and white. Uh, so after we see the flashback to the shower scene, we just see the silhouette of the house uh, as it slowly turns to a color sunrise, mm -hmm. which I really liked. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Good transition. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, in the house, Norman finds uh, the first quote unquote note from his mother. That's like, I'll fix dinner. I'll be back home soon. And it's already beginning. Although I, I don't know if that could just be an old note he had, you know, that that could just be it an existing be. old note. So that oh, one I didn't think of that. The, yeah. That one could just be a thing that he had hanging around and it's like, huh, OK, whatever. But it could be one of several people who left it there also. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I loved watching this a second time and trying to identify which person in this uh, conspiracy was doing each thing. Mm -hmm. I think I mostly figured it out. Mm. Uh, the two, Lila and Mary, I don't believe they kill anybody directly. I think all the killing is the third person. Hmm. Interesting. But we'll get to it as we go through. Uh, so in addition to getting his house back, he has to go to work, uh, a work release program where he's got to be a cook's helper in a diner. Yeah, it's the same thing that, um, oh man, uh, President Palmer from 24, he's he's doing this in heat. Oh, <laughs> um, oh, uh, Keither, no, is no, it? No, no, uh, the, the president in, in the that show, the, the guy who plays the president, I can't remember oh, okay. dude's name, it's uh, out of my head. The major character in the show, for some reason, the president, uh, was like one of the main dudes. Right. Yeah, I never saw 24, so I'm not sure. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we meet a couple of important people at the diner. Uh, his new boss, Mrs. Mr. Statler, who is actually not important. No. Uh, we meet Mary, who is very important, and Mrs. Spool, who... It's actually only in two scenes, interestingly. So you can't actually keep track of what she's doing. Roy. Uh, <laughs> Roy. Roy from Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. Oh. <laughs> that, that's the guy who plays the president? No, I, I'm, I'm oh. talking about the Mrs. Spool. Uh, oh, she's, oh, oh. she's Roy. She's fucking Roy. Uh, okay, it, that's... Right, that's the one I haven't seen. Because it, 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 it's the thing, I, I was talking about it last week. He, he uh, there, There's the scene where he, he's loading oh, the yeah, bodies up after. Oh yeah, he's introduced and you're not paying any attention to him. And well, they're the the police officers, what the hell is going on around here? And Roy just like pops up and like, you talking to me, chief? Well, it just <laughs> sounded like you were talking to me. And then you do not see him again until he's revealed as the killer at the end of the movie. I mean, this is basically what we've got going with Mrs. Spool. Yeah, so, okay, we, we haven't mentioned it. Let's just get it out there. Yeah. Mrs. Spool is the one doing the killing. She The twist is that she is Norman's real mother. Maybe. And that Norma Bates 
adopted her because Mrs. Spool was being committed. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe she's telling maybe she's talking out of her ass and trying to trick Norman too. It could be bullshit. It could be true. Um I mean it, it uh, I I think Norman does seem to totally believe it. Uh, she's been saying that she's his real mother when she's talking to him. And we're supposed to believe that Norman is going insane and imagining this voice on the other end of the line for a lot of these parts. Or, like, there are times when it's clearly supposed to be Lila pretending to be mom, and there's parts where it's supposed to be Mary pretending to be mom, but... <laughs> A lot of the times, like, one of them is present and knows that's not the kind of shit that is supposed to be going on, so there's, like, hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Mrs. Spool is not working with Mary and Lila. She's doing this independently. Yeah. She doesn't even, like, she hates also that she hates that Mary is staying at the house. That's a girl staying at the house. She has very similar politics to Norma mm -hmm. Bates. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, at the diner, Norman makes friends with Mary, who has just broken up with her awful boyfriend, Scott, and she needs a place to stay. Oh, well, well, you, you, you could stay at my hotel. Yeah, I've got an entire hotel. Uh, you, you could probably stay in one of the rooms. I, I don't imagine it's being used as a horrible flop house right now. Uh, so they go to the hotel and meet Dennis Franz and it's being used as a horrible flop house right now. Yeah, so the character Warren Toomey, uh, and he's just, he's dealing drugs out of the place. It's <laughs> clearly mainly being used, rented out for the hour by sex workers. Yeah, I'm going to go over to Jason Voorhees' house, knowing it's Jason Voorhees, and I'm going to go up to Jason Voorhees, and I'm going to dare him to kill me. Well, it's it's like if... Uh, somehow they had gotten a hold of Jason after, say, number four, instead of uh, Corey Haim hacking his head to bits with a machete. Somehow they'd just, like, gotten him in a straitjacket and taken him to a mental institution. And then instead <laughs> of reopening, like, uh, a camp or something like that, you build a brothel on... <laughs> <laughs> On, on the grounds of, like, his cabin. Holy shit, Jason going to town in a brothel? In the Crystal Lake brothel? <laughs> I mean, There's so many people for him to kill. Yeah, I mean, that would be a very different take. Because, you know, it's <laughs> gonna be, you know, it's not teens. Which is usually who he goes after. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, you're really, really poking the bear. And he's constantly like, yeah, you killed all those people, you fucking loony. You're a loony. You're a psycho. Yeah, this guy just, he he has no uh, risk assessment within him. Just, he, he doesn't get it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, you know that this man go has gone crazy and killed people with a knife. And I feel like, like this is documented. In his line of business, he's dealt with crazies with knives and he should know not to deal with them in this fashion it just seems like bad business yeah or maybe it's because he's dealt with crazies with knives that he thinks he can deal with norman bates i don't know it, it just it, it, it just it, it does not seem like 
he's dealing with it in a way someone who has experience would. You just, no. you know that you're causing trouble in a way that is dangerous to yourself. But I guess part of it is that he feels that Norman has no authority here anymore, even though he literally owns the place. Yeah, and the first thing Norman does is fire him. And yeah. he's like, what? You can't fire me, you didn't give me my job. And it's like, yeah. I was I was in a hospital at the time, but now I am your boss, so get out. I'm not your boss anymore. <laughs> so he decides to have Mary stay at the house instead since yeah, the know, place is down. probably gross. Uh yeah. any any uh place you might want to stay might be sticky. Let's just go in the house. It's probably, you know, dusty but nice. Yeah, yeah. Um he tell he tells Mary his backstory about how like, yeah. The reason I'm working at the diner is because it's a work release thing because I killed my mom and did all that other shit. And Mary's just like, cool, oh, cool. And maybe I'll go stay with my girlfriend <laughs> instead. It's it's pretty good play acting uh, because, you know, ultimately she does know all of this uh, yeah. and she's prepared for it. Uh, but I, it's it's half play acting for him and play acting for the audience. Mm hmm. But she, he convinces her to stay the night, and uh, she puts a chair up under the the door. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But she's pretty cash, you know. Mm -hmm. She's got the chair there, and she's. I I feel like it is her expected outcome of the night. Yeah, but nothing happens this one particular night. Yeah, and uh, the next day, Toomey shows up at the diner to harass Mary and Norman. Yeah, this this psycho fired me. I can't believe it. And he's plastered. Oh, yeah. He's like, hey, baby, I want some of what you gave Norman last night. Huh? <laughs> right. He's like, you're gross. And uh, we didn't do anything. Uh, and he gets in a fight. But Norman, meanwhile, has there's been this roulette that we've been watching of this note from Norman's mother on the uh the wheel oh, the, of the orders. diner wheel yeah. thing yeah and we actually i looked i checked we see mrs spool put a bunch of notes up there but we don't see her put that one up there that one's already there but it was obviously her yeah of course it was her uh yeah, I mean, so he gets the note and it freaks him out but he thinks toomey did it so he gets in yeah. a fight with toomey over the message yeah uh but ultimately decides not to pick up the knife that's right next to him and just kind of storm out yeah he tells them it's like though no, there was a note and mrs spool looks at the order wheel and is like there's no note i don't see any note and that's it that is all we see of mrs spool until the end she does not come back yeah it's like yeah well, are you talking to me norman about some note that was left uh, i didn't see any <laughs> note norman yeah we don't need to have anyone else come and look for a note either yeah of course not no so, uh, then someone kills Toomey. <laughs> yeah. Someone. Yeah. Dressed as Norma so. Bates. <laughs> yeah, Toomey shows up at the motel. He's like, ah, Norman, I'm moving out now. Being real loud about it, too, you psycho. Oh, right. Norman's asleep in bed, and he shows up. He's leaning on the horn. He comes up. He's screaming at the house. He's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> please get on with it. And then he yeah. is murdered. He is murdered. Uh, 
unlike in the original Psycho, we see the knife go into him and cut his face open. Yeah, that is that is the big thing in this one is that they go really hard with the gore. It's quite intense every time. Yeah, yeah. It goes, yeah, it goes right in through his face. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he dies, but they, the next time we then the his car is sunk in the swamp, much like you know, uh, they were done by Norman in the original. And the next time we the next actual scene after Tooby dies is Norman painting the hotel and Toomey's office uh, is currently closed with a sign that says opening soon. Yeah. Because he's rebuilding the place. So it does make him look suspect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he isn't. He, he's just, he, he fired the guy and he's cleaning up the place. Cause the guy left a mess when he uh, took off. Cause you know, he was using it as a drug and porn den. Yep. Yep. And it turns out that in between, well, you know, when when she killed him, uh, Mrs. Spool immediately got rid of the body. Yeah, of course. But yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't have like a whole scene of Norman finding the body. He never found the body. No, he's like, oh, my God, mother, what have you done? Oh, mother. Oh, my God, Chooper, what have you done? <laughs> it's the same scene. I love it. Yeah. Oh, my God, Mrs. <sighs> Chooper. Uh, meanwhile, yeah. Meanwhile, Norman's been getting all these phone calls um from mother well, from different people yes some t- but they're all claiming to be mother yeah everybody's mother uh everybody wants to be his mom <laughs> uh mary keeps seeing a mysterious person in the peephole uh whenever she showers and the peephole is always mrs spool i figured out yeah uh, nobody else knows about this about the people isn't there one time where norman discovers it he discovers it, but he never uses it. Yeah, because I I guess he would have been aware of it already. He probably originally put it in years ago. It's in, mo- it's in Mother's oh. room, though. I don't think he'd vandalize the wall. Yeah, maybe Mother. It, maybe it was installed by Mother. Shit, you know what? It might have been. Yeah. It really might have been. Which is maybe or... what inspired him to do the one down in the oh. thing. Maybe that's kind of the idea. Clearly, we're looking at it, it, it being there is a reference because it's where we do. Yeah. This is where we replay the shower scene with uh, Meg Tilly. But right, right. different riff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So we see the sh- we do the shower scene. And this time we get full frontal. Yeah, of course. It's the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, you have to have, and it's a slasher movie, you have to have at least, at least one pair of boobs has to be seen. But uh, she doesn't die here. No. She just notices that somebody's looking at her through the people. Yeah, we, we see the exact same language. We see the same shot construction, the shower head, uh, the, her getting into the shower and all of that. It's just, we update it and make it more explicit, much like we've seen, uh, uh, to me getting slashed and it's way more explicit and we see the knife going in so you know having seen the scene earlier where you know people felt that knife going in even though it was never actually on the screen such that people still swear that you see it in the movie Mm -hmm. so it's like you're yeah they're preparing you for something really intense to happen and then she she's being peeped on she gets weirded out but then nothing happens yeah and 
and uh, she calls as she sees the people. She like calls down to Norman, and he's downstairs. Yeah, we see that he is clearly not up there. Cannot possibly be him. No, and, and we'll see that a lot of times. Yeah. every time we suspect somebody, we'll see a shot that proves it cannot have been that person. Yeah, I, I, th- th- this is a thing that I love that the disciples of Hitchcock are very good at. Like you said, De Palma does a lot of this. Very good <laughs> at showing the space between people and making sure you are completely aware of where everyone is where you need to <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we also find out from the sheriff and the doctor that uh i didn't catch this until considerably later on in the movie but mary's last name is mary samuels mm-hmm. and <laughs> and it wasn't until like the first twist was revealed that i was like wait but her last name is samuel marie samuels oh fuck yeah yeah exactly you're just uh playing with the same just, yeah it, it's a good reference too it, it is a good reference because <laughs> because <laughs> it, it could be a person's real name but it's yeah it, it was great it got me yeah no it's it's pretty excellent uh norman gets trapped up in the attic because he sees quote-unquote mother there <laughs> I feel so bad for him. <laughs> Someone just locks him in the attic all day. All day. <laughs> well, uh... <laughs> and just like killings are going on around him. He's just stuck up there. Cause this is also the same point where two teenagers break into the basement and start <laughs> fucking, which is like the most silly slashery thing in this movie, but it's so hilarious. As soon as I saw them broken, I'm like, Oh my God, we are going to see a killing. right now. <laughs> Yeah. And of course, mother gets uh, the teen boy, but the girl manages to get out the window. I love the shot of her escaping from the house. It's like a bird's eye view or like a helicopter view from above. Yeah. And it's just like, like, but also with a fisheye lens, it's just really cool. It reminds me weirdly of nothing but trouble. <laughs> the, oh, it kind of The big does. overhead shots of the junkyard around the house. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, her getting away and she escapes. So she goes and tells people, but they come back yeah. and the body's been cleaned up. Mother's really good at hiding bodies. Yeah. So they're like, well, okay, Norman, um, who who cleaned up the place? And Mary's like, oh, oh, I did. I've been cleaning up around here since I've been staying. Right. And Norman's like, huh. And Norman is doing his, like, bad poker face because he knows that this is a lie. Yeah. He's like, why are you covering up for me? That's weird. I mean, I'm... I, I appreciate that you believe me, but I'm not sure I believe me anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, there, there's a, a scene even later on. It's like, oh, yeah, no, that's a bloody rag from when I killed the boy. And it's like, you didn't kill the boy, though. You didn't kill the boy. And it's like, yeah, but I feel like I may have. I there, Some things are happening around here that I can't quite identify. And this has happened before to me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was in the attic and I blacked out. Yeah. I black out usually when I'm about to do the thing. Yeah, so uh, who knows? Uh, I, I I appreciate the how well Perkins plays the instability. That he's mm. like, I could be doing this stuff. I'm pretty sure I'm not. I don't remember doing any of it, but uh, something's going on. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, he well, he's like clutching his head in his hands. He's like, it's starting again. I think that was big trailer sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sheriff 
meets Lila and is immediately sick of her shit. It's like, you just need to go. You are not going to do any good here. Just get the fuck out right. of here. Right, Lila comes to town and she's still harassing about this. She wants uh, Norman to be dealt with. She's heard about these deaths. There's already rumors going around that about this boy dying. It's like, you gotta put him away. And it's like, we don't even have a body, man. We don't know there was a murder. I can't just arrest the local guy just because some teenager just, says something happened like I, we don't have anybody but, we don't know anything happened actually happened but also at the same time it's like that very much it's that boys run away all the time yeah. boys run away so this part i thought was a hallucination was uh the bloody rag in the toilet turns into like this fountain of blood but apparently it's not because mary's just cleaning it up yeah, I don't know. It, it is a weird bit. Uh, like, I'm not sure yeah. what that's supposed to be. I suppose that is from Spool. I'm not sure why Mary the, decides the to clean be... it. Uh, because Mary decides to clean it because she thinks it's from Lila. Right, she thinks that maybe Lila has started killing people. And she's... Yeah. Uh, I, I don't... I don't know. Her relationship with her mother seems very strange, too. I, I don't quite yeah. get what's going on with them. It does seem by the end that Mary has maybe kind of lost her tether with reality. Kind of, yeah. She's, like, she's she's very much like, okay, I'll go along with you for this mother, but oh, yeah, we, we get the reveal that it's her yeah. mother. But, yeah, she's like, okay, I'm done playing this game. What we're doing is actually really fucking gross, yeah. and I don't want to do yeah, it anymore. this sucks. I actually want to help this guy. Yeah, this guy guy seems pretty nice. He seems to actually genuinely be working on himself. And uh, he's been super nice to me. And uh, he, now that reality is slipping on him, he seems to be really upset by it. And it's like, I don't know why some of this stuff is happening. Uh, Like, well, but he's killing people. So we definitely need to get him put back away now. But like, he definitely didn't kill those kids. I had him locked in the attic all day. <laughs> he couldn't have gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. So uh, Dr. Doctor Raymond talks to the sheriff and finds out from the sheriff, because the sheriff already has about 90% of the information that he needs to solve the case. But he's never going to get more. No, he won't. But he, he knows about Lila and Mary, and he tells the doctor, who immediately tells Norman... And Norman's like, okay, well, it's not them anyway. Turns out my mother's actually not dead. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, good, oh, good. good. So, Norman, we're going to go on a field trip to the cemetery. They exhume the body. And they show him, like, that's your mother. She, she's dead in there. And it's like, yep. The thing is, yep. it's it. this is my fake mother, though. It's my real mother who's on the phone. <laughs> yeah, the doctor's like, that's what she told me. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, she says she's my real mom. And the doctor's like, no, that was either Lila or Mary. It was one of those two. Yeah, and he's like, there's no record of you ever having been adopted. That's uh, total bullshit. Uh, you're not. <laughs> you are her son. He's like, mm. The voice said, though. (laughs) (laughs) The Bible says the Bible doesn't lie. 
the sheriff finally finds uh, the car in the swamp. Right. And they drag, or and they bring Norman. They bring Norman and Mary over. I love the questioning of Norman. It's like, hey, do you recognize this suitcase? Yes, yeah, Mister Toomey's. Yeah, like, yeah, I saw him packing it. Uh, he made quite yeah, he, a big stink of it. Yeah, I fired him, and then he left. Okay, you're free to go. That's good enough for me. Yeah, like, I, I mean, uh, lines up. Uh, but not you, young lady. You stay here. I got to talk to you. Right, because he knows of the connection. Yeah, he give he gives her the whole like you better just leave town speech. Yeah, and like knock this off. You are being a total shithead. This sucks. Uh, stop doing this to Norman. Let this guy heal. Yeah, she's like, but I'm in too deep, and now there's too many other people doing it. Now I have to help him. <laughs> uh, Lila now just won't let it go. She's like, we just gotta dress up as the mother one more time, and he'll go over the deep end. Right. And she has hidden a mother costume in the basement. <laughs> Under a loose stone. And she gets murdered <laughs> by another mother. <laughs> <laughs> mother from another mother. She she gets she gets knifed through the mouth. Yeah, it's gruesome. brutal. Yeah. Uh and then, and then buried in the coal. Left in the coal, which is where he used to always hide mother when uh there was police attention right right that's right so yeah they they pull up the body and they find they pull up the car and find franz's body and mary runs back is like norman norman we've got to flee and norman's like what? go where what are we gonna do we're fucked it's like i i should probably just be put back away because mother's been calling and i i'm obviously insane and i'm not cured so it's probably better that they i go I, it's fine you know it's totally cool she's like no 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 you don't understand there's this whole scheme i've been pulling yeah no i know but you're not the one doing the killings it's the, it's my real mother yeah, and she starts to think he has gone insane that they have successfully made him crazy because when she listens like the, the other like real mom phones up and starts talking she's like yeah no i get it i know i'm talking to her right now she doesn't seem to understand <laughs> yeah like can i listen it's like, like there's nobody on the end of this line it's like well she must have hung up i don't know <laughs> And then he picks up the phone. It's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no, I, I can't kill her. <laughs> A very sinister expression here. Like, I, honestly, at this point, I, it does seem like he may be talking to Spool, but at the same time, he could just be messing with her. <laughs> I feel like because he's like, I feel like this one he's messing yeah. with because the original phone call was from the doctor. Yeah. I, I think he's just trying to mess with her because he's sick of her shit. It's like, okay, yeah. listen. I'm like, oh, I mean, I wouldn't want to have to kill her. I'm just like, lady, leave. I've had it with you. Yeah. But instead of leaving, she puts on the mother costume and then says, Norman, hang up the phone. I'm here so I can't be on the phone, right? Yeah. So this um, is the weird bit. I don't really know what yeah. to make of any of this scene and who intends what, but she ends up getting killed. So she, Norman's kind of like chasing her into the fruit cellar. It's like, we have to go into the fruit cellar again, mother, just like before, whenever the cops come. Yeah, and she does stab him pretty good. A, a few times, yeah. but like like lightly, not try, not going for the kill, just trying to like get him away and it it doesn't work and then 
I guess she goes for like the big stab and then gets shot by the sheriff. Yeah. Uh, and it, it does, it's weird because he does seem to be going after her. Yeah, this, I don't understand this part. Um, it, it's hard to figure exactly how this fits with the rest of the characterization. I, I'm not totally clear on this bit. Yeah, like, uh, at first I thought maybe he was just trying to scare her into, like, just get the fuck out of this situation, but he keeps going after being stabbed, so I don't know. Yeah, and, like, she ultimately, she goes after him she goes for a big stab after him when she finds her mother's body. Yes. And she thinks that he did it because obviously she didn't do it and her mother yeah. obviously didn't do it and she doesn't believe this other mother stuff. So she thinks obviously, oh, you actually are insane and have been doing these killings. I've been a fool this whole time. So yeah, she gets killed by the sheriff and then we get... I'm expecting another 10-minute scene about what really happened. Right. Because we've got all these people sat in the room, and the sheriff comes in, he's like, well... Uh, it feels like we're doing she was a exactly a riff <laughs> on the closing sequence, where yeah. it's like, oh, well, this was this is who everyone was, and this is what was actually going on. She's been actually dressing up as Norman's mother, uh, and so has Lila, and like, oh, well, Mary was the one who killed everyone. Yeah, yeah, it, the sheriff is completely wrong. Uh, he's totally guessing, and he's like, "Well, you know what? That's a good enough story for me. I think this case is well because it, it fits. It 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 rhymes. It, does fit. it it fits just like the other one did. Like in the original movie, it was the plot line there, and it's like, well, it seems like it just history repeated. So that's simple. Yeah, I mean, yeah, case closed. Like, that, that's what I was saying. He's got ninety percent of the information he needs, and ninety percent is enough to paint a full picture yeah just not the full picture yeah uh, which is cool it, it is an interesting commentary on police investigation as well uh, mm -hmm. especially in the in the way this contrasts with the original which is pretty law and ordery uh whereas this yeah. one we're 23 years later and we're kind of a little more questioning how, uh, some of these methods at this point yeah so uh we get one more scene uh, after this where Norman is back, uh, he's shoveling some of the coal into the into the oven, and then he goes into his kitchen, and there's a knock on the door. Yet another woman dressed as Norma Bates, but this is Mrs. Spool from the diner. It's real, Mom, supposedly. Supposedly, and yeah, she tells the whole story about how she was committed, and she's his, um, or she, he, he, uh, she's the sister of Mrs. Bates, so she would have been his yeah. aunt, theoretically. Although, I don't know if that any of that's well, true. Well, here's my theory. My aunt and my mom sound the same on the phone. Yeah. That's, so, if I didn't know, especially if I hadn't heard either of them for 22 years, one of them could pretend to be the other and I might believe I it. I suppose. I like, I have no idea how much of her stuff is supposed to be true. I don't like the... Yeah secret relative stuff i i'm not a fan of it just in general and there's so much of it <laughs> yeah it's such a it's such a one in a million chance to ever happen unless you're in like a small town in which case you would know there are no secret relatives in small towns yeah, someone would know who was pregnant uh hard, hard yeah. to believe but anyway yeah. uh he <laughs> she has her whole speech and he seems to maybe be poisoning the tea like we see the this the 
the sand yep. tea and is like, oh, is he gonna poison her? And then the twist, of course, he just hits her with shovel. <laughs> and then he takes her great shovel to the bedroom. Just the shoveling yeah. Oh, the shovel crack. Amazing. And then she's just like on the floor, broke through the chair. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, okay, mother, let's put you into bed now. He takes her to mother's room. And then we hear him doing the mother voice, and we're back to square one. Right. It, it seems like maybe he is uh, just who he was again. And then, of course, we've got Psycho 3 next. Uh, there's, It's got, it's directed by Perkins. So, interested. I'm interested to see how that's going to work. I'm interested in yeah. that, yeah. I, man, I don't think I ever would have picked up Psycho 2 if it weren't for yeah if it weren't for you recommending yeah, it's it pretty good i liked it quite yeah. a bit yeah I, i'd say it, i'd say it's a, a worthy sequel to the original yeah surprisingly like i i would never have expected it to be a sequel worth seeing <laughs> yeah, Mainly, I, I always thought it would be like I, i'll get to it because i watch all these stupid 80s slashers and uh why not but it's surprisingly good uh it, it's worth its pedigree so next, we've got Karate Warriors from 1976 from the uh, Sunny Chiba Collection, Volume 2 from Shout Factory. This is directed by Kazuhiko Yamaguchi. And starring Sonny Chiba this yeah, time. Yeah, he's actually the main guy. <laughs> I mean, so is Yakuza Wolf. Well, yeah, but that was a different box. Yeah. This is another one. <laughs> he does karate. It's very similar. Tropey. Mm -hmm. uh, he kills a lot of Yakuza he fights a guy who thinks he's in a Zatoichi movie um, you got a, you, you got this, the Katana guy yeah yeah the Katana guy uh, and his kid actually I, I mean it's sort of a <laughs> I, I kind of tub. love this kid yeah, kind of yeah yeah the kid Osamu that, who I, I, as we were saying kind of has a younger sort of uh, trajectory real sad sad life oh man he is one of the most unloved children in one of these movies like nobody fucking wants this This kid, kid reminds me of uh the kid in ichi the killer just like uh, really no happy way out for this kid at the end I, I mean we we sort of are supposed to imagine a happy ending at the end but I don't know. I don't I don't entirely believe that Sonny Chiba is going to be a great guardian for this kid uh, beyond the physical guardianship. I mean, I, I'm thinking kind of Chiba uh, getting his sister to walk into traffic because it's the only way he can help her. <laughs> right. I, I, I almost feel like after the credits, uh, he picks up the kid. He's like, all right. I'm leaving you at your mother's house. <laughs> I'm going to walk away. I, I, she will take you or you will die. Yeah, I, I'm still astonished that he didn't just kick him into the lake and that was the final <laughs> shot. That is what I expected the final shot to be. I was I was seriously like 50-50 if he was going to take take on this kid. <laughs> yeah, the, the sudden tearful happy ending just comes out of absolutely nowhere. Well, it kind of, he's a better parent to the kid than the kid's actual parent. I suppose. Kidnapped him away from his actual loving mother, 
to uh, take him to bring your child to Yakuza work well, day. It's where he doesn't work with the Yakuza. He's this guy who is sort of separate from them. He is oppositional to everyone. He lives in this fucking old warehouse. And I don't really get what his deal is because everybody suspects him because he's this outsider. He seems to think himself as some sort of modern day Ronin. Like you said, he seems to think yeah. he's in a, uh, a Zadoichi film. He he thinks he's a samurai. Yeah, he's. I mean, I th I feel like the opening scene of him in the warehouse. He's astonished when it's Sunny Chiba in a leather jacket rather than uh, Ichi with his. Uh, uh, oh, what do you call that outfit that he's got? Uh, the the samurai robe. Yeah, the the. Uh... Oh man. Why I should know I should know this. I can't believe I'm not thinking of it. Yeah, I'm just thinking gi, but that's not quite right. That's the karate yeah. outfit. Yeah, well, it's close. Anyway, so Mizuki. The, the Yakuza plan, Mizuki. Yes, that's that's yeah. the dude's name. And Chiba, you kind of think he might be going for a man with no name thing again, but we find out again halfway through that his name is Sakata. Right again, but he is totally doing the aesthetic, and he's doing that character. He's very. Uh, minimally speaking, he's really trying to scam everyone. He's looking for this hidden cache of something. This term is drugs to sell. I think it's supposed to be a bunch of yeah. cocaine. Is it cocaine? Cocaine. Or... It seems it looks like cocaine oh, yeah, at the end. I would guess cocaine. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he's kind of a scoundrel. We don't really know his allegiances. He's doing that whole same thing. It's just, it's sort of mm -hmm. softened at the end for no apparent reason. And at, at the start, it seems like he's going to beat the kid up for his food. It almost does look like that. But then but then he doesn't because other Yakuza break in and he gets to beat them up instead. And then he takes the food as payment. Yeah. <laughs> so the Yakuza plot in this one is, uh, I, I would say you can leave your shipping chart at home again. Uh, Kichiro is the leader of the clan of Yakuza. Yeah. He's in jail. He has this stash of drugs, and he told his two lieutenants, Higashida and Nishimura, he told each one that the other one has it. Right. Which... I have no fucking idea why he would do this. I think he just wanted to cause trouble. It, it seems like this guy, he went to jail and he decided, fuck it, I'm burning the whole thing down. I'm going to make <laughs> everybody suspect everyone else, and they're just going to destroy everything. And by the time I come out, I will be out of the business. I won't need to worry about it because the whole business will be gone, and I'll be out. I can go back to my hometown. You know, that, that whole kind oh, of thing. Oh, hometown! This yeah. is what I imagine. And sell all the drugs that I have that none of them will have been able to find. Right. I hid them in a grave. It's an unmarked grave next to... Uh, the grave because <laughs> that's basically to, uh, what we've got it's it's hidden yeah. in a, a memorial mm -hmm. the keys in the memorial and the drugs are in the actual grave yeah which it takes a long time to find that out because it takes incredible none of our time. guys can believe that the other one is telling the truth when they say that they don't have the drugs and the best plan any of these people can come up with is I'm going to phone him and tell him that I have the drugs to trick him into saying that he has the drugs, that I will know he has the drugs. Yeah, I mean, we've we've been through a few of these, uh, and it seems to be very consistent with the Yakuza plot. So they just kind of hammer at the same thing over and over again, hoping to get different results until they run out of guys. 
Yeah. Like most of the movie is just raiding the same club back and forth. Yeah. And 13 steps of monkey. We just keep kidnapping uh, the other team. We, we go yeah. after the other girls. We kidnap all of them. We press them into sex slavery. Someone comes back and breaks them back out. And maybe they kidnap the daughter again and they tie her up yeah. and leave her hanging from a <laughs> from an I-beam somewhere. Yeah. Uh, this time it's Osamu that gets kidnapped every time of by course. both sides. Yeah. And one side is like, oh, yeah, well, we'll kidnap you so that the other team's samurai won't kill us. And the other team is like, we'll kidnap you so that our samurai won't turn against us yeah i don't even remember anything about uh, like these the gangs they're just huge factions of nameless guys who are there to all get killed to just like yes. rush in as like two tidal waves of people like on the uh cover or the not the cover the uh poster art where it's just two gangs converging <laughs> on chiba and this kid and it's just him slaying all of them <laughs> and that's basically what happens in the movie. We've got, of course, uh, the femme fatale who falls in love with Chiba, but he sexes her into giving him the information about the drugs. When, meanwhile, she was trying to sex him into getting whatever information, and that didn't work out because he studied Chiba. And she's the girlfriend of the boss who's in jail, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, she is also playing the two underlings against each other but right and it goes about as well as you expect and it's a, one of those things where everybody thinks that she knows because you would think of any if anybody knew she would know but she doesn't know anything nobody knows anything yeah uh she they <laughs> the underlings don't want to see the memorial so she gives it to her innocent sister who is a nurse right and so now the nurse has it somehow chiba ends up getting it yeah he he's the one who ultimately figures it out he understands like he goes to talk to someone i think he goes to actually see the guy in jail no he no he doesn't but doesn't someone i feel like someone went to go the see girl the does okay and she relays or the girl it. plans to okay something like that yeah. but yeah anyway like uh somewhere along the way mizuki gets killed uh, yeah, Osamu witnesses the death and takes the blood from the wound and rubs it on his shirt. And this this kid's like four. This kid is tiny. <laughs> yeah, he is just a tiny little kid. And yeah. I'm amazed that they got the acting job that they did out of him. And Mizuki's uh, last words to him are like, don't rely on others. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, dude, this kid needs to rely on others. He can't do shit for himself. What a life. And he, yeah, he gets a, he ends up being semi adopted by uh, Chiba's character, it, sort of against his will. He's like, "All right, I will take you to your mother. We'll we'll go that far. I'm gonna take you to the town she lives in." And he goes to see her, and she's like, "No, uh, -uh. I don't want this kid. I have, <laughs> I've, my, I've my remarried. Ex husband took <laughs> my ex husband took him away, and." I got over it. Yeah, I started a new family. They don't know I had a a, a marriage prior to that or a previous kid. This is just going to ruin my shit. I can't take him. You just got to go. So Osamu like, runs what off. What am to I the supposed beach? to do with this kid? <laughs> and Osamu just runs off to the beach 
which happens to be where all the thugs are, <laughs> because Kichiro just broke out of jail off screen. And because a beach is a really good fight for a big showdown, and then just a million people die on a beach. <laughs> oh, yeah. So many people get killed. Uh, all the buildings get set on fire. And when the fighting's all done, everybody except for Chiba is dead. He goes to. Everybody he but goes Chiba to... and Osamu. And Osamu and is. Osama. And he has. Like, they have. Uh... They cremated they the bag the... of drugs and Mizuki's ashes. They had cremated the dead, and he's he's had yeah. the ashes with him, and uh, they're supposed to be taking the ashes back to his hometown. Uh, but the kid has been scattering the ashes in the lake while the fight's been going on, and it turns out they were actually <laughs> the drugs. Yeah, Chiba switched them to fool the Yakuza, and the kid just started throwing him into the lake. Chiba fucking, like shoves the kid down into the floor he's like you fucking idiot <laughs> i totally like i i expected when we found out that those were the drugs i expected him to just do a roundhouse kick the kid to hit the water in the lake and that to be the freeze frame in the end to come up which would have been <laughs> perfect but then we have that weird bit where he yells at him for a bit and then he feels bad and then he's like i'm sorry i'll adopt you it'll be okay yeah and that's it. Yeah, that's, it. <laughs> that's the end. Yeah. It's it's fun, but that we've already talked about Yakuza Wolf, which is almost the same. Yeah, it's kind the of same, the same thing. A lot of the same beats. Yeah, yeah. It, this one it, it does not go as hard because you've got a kid involved and he's supposed to be protecting a child. And it just it doesn't I don't buy Chiba as that character. He's not the right guy for that. No. Mm -mm. Uh yeah. <laughs> and I, I kind of feel like after the credits roll, like he either dumped him off with the mother or brought him to the nurse sister who already has a relationship with the kid. Yeah, something. He just yeah. he's not going to raise a kid. He's a bad choice. He knows <laughs> he's a bad choice. Who, especially the kid who just dumped his drugs that were his ticket to getting out of whatever he needed to get out of. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they lived happily ever after and heroically walked down the beach. Yeah, the the end. Uh, so the end. so yep. next, obviously, we've got Kakabakabakaba. Uh, Kakabakabakaba. Does your heart beat faster? Uh, basically, you know, sort of the... It's an onomatopoeia kind of thing. Uh, the, the beating of the heart uh, increasing, uh, okay. right? Uh, and it, it's it's sort of as a connotation of nervousness not quite sure what that name has to do with this movie no but i have no idea <laughs> that's okay because a lot of this movie this movie's weird i love this i i, I adore this movie yeah this is a very all over the place kind of movie it's a musical it's also a yak as a movie uh <laughs> it's also so a giant political conspiracy <laughs> so yes or last week i was thinking because we had done so many yakuza movies and so many well the we had just done the ormond box i was like okay this time no yakuza movies no religious movies no church the yakuza is planning to infiltrate the catholic church in this i, I feel like they have infiltrated the catholic church in this at least in the philippines they seem to have in taken it over yeah <laughs> and they're planning on using that as a stepping stone to use the Catholic Church to distribute drugs through the world. And 
we can say this over the top, but you don't find out anything even remotely close to this until the final musical sequence, which tells you the whole story that you had no idea about. Oh my god, even if the rest of the movie was crap, and it's not, the rest of the movie's a lot of fun, but mm. even if it was, that musical number would redeem the whole thing. The musical number is huge. It's so good. It is a real great button on the end of the movie, and you have just uh, Yakuza and a bunch of fake priests and nuns in an underground bunker with, like, spinning sci-fi stuff, and they're in a drug factory. <laughs> oh, it rules, and they're doing a huge like, musical number. Yep. Ah, it's it's amazing this is i guess it's a comedy i guess it's a musical comedy there are yeah i mean there's a big musical number there's a few songs in the middle but not many yeah like a, a bunch of the people in the movie are from a very popular filipino music group called uh the apo hiking society apparently Okay. Yeah, it's a thing on the the wiki page. Uh, so I, I should say uh, from 1980, directed by Mike DeLeon, uh, and yeah, very strange thing. Uh, this was put out. I want to say by Kani Films. I think is the disc. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So in the opening sequence, we have this yakuza. <laughs> keeps trying to smuggle diamonds across customs and they keep fighting him <laughs> and the look on their face whenever they catch him is always just oh no time like, that's his name yeah and it, it's him <laughs> in different outfits and a different like a, a bunch of time has passed each time the first one i think is in black and white and he's buttoned down it's early 60s and yeah he's smuggling him in a doll this time right and they're like, oh i can't believe it. he's dressed up just like a businessman and then next he's a hippie and he's got a guitar <laughs> come on man why you gotta harsh my groove like this <laughs> <laughs> and they finds like stacks of cash in the guitar and they look at him like come on and then the third time he's dressed as a geisha <laughs> this one is hilarious because he's being so like over the top he's like yeah he's doing that he's <laughs> yeah oh i'm a geisha I'm it's definitely not suspicious it's definitely the least convincing of his three acts yeah and so he is just like he's he's not going he's in like bad debt to his bosses he just keeps screwing up so so yeah the first one is in 1964 the second is in 69 and the last one happens in 1976 Right, so then this movie takes place in eighty, and it's his latest his latest scheme. <laughs> so we find out that every time he failed one of these schemes, because he's a yakuza, uh, he has to give the boss a finger. So he hasn't so got he many doesn't... left. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> been screwing up a lot. <laughs> I love the boss of this. He's like just this the nerdiest looking guy you can imagine. Like the like big teeth, big Coke bottle glasses. Uh, he takes off the glasses to to rub them, and then he like pokes himself in the eye with the uh, uh, the frame part of it. Yeah, I I think this guy he is uh, a musician. Like he he's more oh. known as a singer. Uh, his name's George Javier, and uh, he, he seems to be like a musical comedy guy. Uh, okay. more than he's an actor 
as a lot of these people uh, in the movie seem to be. It's more from the music yeah. scene. Okay, okay. Uh, and yeah, he's basically like, okay, don't screw up this time. I'm serious. You don't have a lot of fingers left. This time I'll have to take something else. No, boss, not that. <laughs> right. There's a lot of dick jokes in this. This is a dick joke heavy <laughs> movie. Uh, a lot of yep. like the when it when the guys gets going like what are you a gay <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah there's there's uh stuff like that the, too it, it I, as you mentioned after watching it it, I, it was a thing that had crossed my mind while i was watching it it kind of feels like the always sunny gang involved in <laughs> a, a yakuza plot in the philippines i mean it, it kind of starts that way with dennis or i mean johnny johnny uh, johnny randomly a person who almost every time you hear his name it's someone saying it disapprovingly johnny 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 johnny, johnny. <laughs> but especially <laughs> johnny that's that's the oh. big one you every time the the main girl was it melanie uh, <laughs> melanie, melanie yeah <laughs> uh, she is great she is she is does such a perfect job of being the my shit is way too much together to be hanging out with these guys and i don't know why i want to right so what is their deal are they I, I, are they related to the airport like is she a stewardess she is a, she's a flight attendant yeah uh he is randomly hitting on her because he would randomly hit on anybody Right. Uh, and also because she's super hot. And somehow he invites her. He, he mentions to her, it's like, hey, I've got a band and we're doing a show. And that's how they kind of, that's how she kind of gets assimilated into the group. So this lady, sort of. uh, the, the lady who plays uh, Melanie Charo Santos, uh, she was the president and CEO of ABS-CBN Corporation, which is like the big uh film academy like the the big film studio in the philippines oh shit okay <laughs> big tv so she's a very major figure okay i damn i had no idea so on this airplane we also meet uh johnny's other friends nonong and nancy who are mac and know, d mac and d <laughs> and uh and Onota's also on this plane with this like ridiculous old man getup. Yeah. Like uh, no, again, if, you get why he gets caught. <laughs> <laughs> like like if Key and Peel, uh, if Jordan Peel for the Key and Peel show were to dress up like an old man, this is what he would come up with as a as a joke. Yeah, I mean the funny thing is I feel like he's sitting there on the plane realizing how shitty his outfit is and how much it's like no this isn't gonna work and he sees these guys and so he slips his what we will later find out to be a cassette tape made of raw opium into johnny's pocket is it johnny's yeah it is johnny's yeah right? it's johnny's pocket yeah. yeah but then he doesn't have a plan to get it back from them and and that's what the rest of the movie ends up being about. Yeah. Because he's he's the only actual like Yakuza who's going after them directly. He's got this bodyguard and they don't get along. He thinks the bodyguard's an idiot and the bodyguard's actually not, you know, that dynamic. Right. This is the uh he he's uh an American black man, right? 
or supposed yeah. to be. And I, I do not think he is played by someone American. Uh, I don't think so, but that's, I don't know if he's supposed to be American. I feel but like that came black. up at some point. I feel like that was mentioned. I'm not sure. But anyway, maybe. Yeah. They don't see eye to eye. They're, they're sort of cartoonish. The two of these they're characters, very cartoonish. They seem at a different level of cinema than everybody else. They seem much more on a cartoon level than any other character in the movie. Like everybody else seems to be more or less operating within something sort of parallel to reality, like a comedy reality, but they're just like straight off in a different level. They're like, they're like bebop and rocksteady. Yeah. It's like, he's got all these fingers cut off. There's times where he has to try to <laughs> grab someone and he can't because he does not have enough fingers to grab someone. But, but because she's, because it's a girl and she's supposed to be a damsel in distress, she just kind of gets like gets grabbed, but doesn't get grabbed, and then realizes she can escape. Yeah, uh, it's it's really funny, and it's also hard to describe. We also see though that the these other guys are tracking the yakuza. Uh, we're later going to find out that these are the triads led by Madame Lily. Right. So there's also uh, an entire other nation involved. <laughs> we've got triads <laughs> and yakuza and they're both all up in philippines shit and that's sort of like the political message behind the movie because it's both mm-hmm. and everybody is trying to control the philippines and it's not just japan it's not just china it's also the catholic church yeah oh <laughs> yep so they they get home after well first they do the show and you know it's a catchy song yeah, and not bad. Melody decides decides she's going to go home with them. I I don't understand her attraction to Johnny. I don't know. I, I, he he's roguish. Uh, I mean, this guy he, he was just a big lead actor. You know, he, mm. uh, this is Christopher DeLeon. I think he's maybe related to the director Mike DeLeon. Okay. I'm not sure. Uh, he also served in office yeah uh, oh. he he was uh he he was in the liberal party uh in the philippines and was on the batangas provincial board in the second district <laughs> okay <laughs> from 2010 to 2003 or 2010 to 13 he has interesting tons and tons of movies he has just He's an incredibly prolific actor, uh, known as the King of Philippine Drama, uh, has All appeared right. in over 120 films. Holy shit. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, they get back to the house, but find out that the place has been ransacked and the maid has been tied up. <laughs> and I love they try to get the maid to tell them what's going on, and she's just got like this whole long-ass onion-on-the-belt story. Uh, before finally revealing that there that it was these two guys dressed up like priests who did this, mm-hmm. which are uh, Anata and his uh, his partner uh, Wagner is Wagner. the guy's name, right? Yeah, uh, but they didn't find what they were looking for, so they need another plan, and they are now dressing up as uh, laundry guys to take all the laundry, which also doesn't work because the cassette tape isn't in Johnny's jacket anymore. Uh, Nonong took it out and started listening to it, was like, ah, this is broken, and then threw it in the pile of 
hundreds of other cassette tapes that he's got. Right, they're cassette collectors. Is the the type of yeah. music they listen to, and it's they play it. It's got like a logo tone at the start, and then it's just silence for the rest of it. So he just tosses it, and he tells him, "It's like, yeah, that cassette tape you gave me, or that cassette tape you had, uh, just was busted and doesn't play anything." It's like what cassette yeah, tape? Johnny's like what cassette tape? <laughs> And then everyone's like, bring us the cassette tape. What fucking cassette tape are you talking about? Yeah. The one I put in your bag or in your jacket. There was nothing in my jacket. It's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And th- that is sort of the consistent problem is they never know what the hell they're talking about. They they never know that they had this tape. And like, I have to find this tape. What does it even look like? I don't know. It's, it's a tape. <laughs> They well, they find out eventually what it's yeah. made out they, of. They get a hold of it, and then I do love that scene. Is like it's made out of raw opium. Well, do you want to try some? <laughs> like, yeah, I think we gotta like, try. Well, it. We gotta try some. Which again, this is so the always sunny gang. It's like, well, we we gotta try some, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> the the unrealistic <laughs> thing, of course, is that one of them. Uh, of course, it's um uh. Melanie, he's like, I've got to work tomorrow. <laughs> no thanks. I don't want to do opium tonight, guys. <laughs> and then Johnny's like, Hey, I also don't want to do opium. Uh, and so we have this amazing scene of like Johnny and Melanie having sex, intercut with uh, Nonong, Nancy, and the guy uh, having their trip. Mm-hmm. it's just kind of amazing i really like that scene yeah it's uh, lots of fun stylish stuff in the movie they're doing a lot with a low budget mm-hmm. eventually there's this other guy father blanco who i think is an actual catholic priest and we never we specifically don't find out what his deal is because every time he somebody asks him he's like oh well just trust in god yeah, I. But I think he's investigating the Yakuza presence in the church. I think that's his role. I wasn't sure because like he's definitely involved. I sort of wonder if he's the guy who is helping them be part of the, like, is, is sort of the the connect between them. Oh, like he's working with the Yakuza. Ah, that's kind of the impression I got, but I don't know. Maybe uh, it's. It's very vague, and his actions don't make sense for any motivation. Uh, Leo Martinez is this actor. Apparently, he was also a congressman. Uh, he's in so much stuff. He's in Enter the Ninja. Oh, fuck. All right. <laughs> yeah, he's one of the bad guys in Enter the Ninja. He's Pee-wee. Uh, okay. I've, just, I've seen tons of stuff that he's in in the 70s. He's in all sorts of weird black exploitation. He's in Vampire Hookers. <laughs> Oh shit! All right, uh, and yeah, incredibly prolific career in the Philippines. Everybody here, like I'm, I'm looking them up on Wikipedia and on uh, IMDb, and they've all got like 150 credits. It's nuts. Oh shit! Everybody, like oh, the guy man, who plays Wagner, Joe Jardy, he doesn't even have a wiki page. I searched him, and he's got 140 credits on IMDb. It's like wow, <laughs> wow, damn. <laughs> So he tells them where, based on the robes that the quote-unquote fake priests were using, which at this point, I thought they got those from Value Village. They didn't look very uh, real, but I think that's just, they make them cheap. So that, you can I think that's just what they had, yeah. 
but yeah, he says like, oh no, the these priests must have come from this specific temple in this specific place. And John, Team Johnny is all like, oh, we should go there. And Melody's like, no, we should call the cops and not be involved in this. I do like that there's, she's pretty consistent. Like, I'm not going to go do opium, guys. How about we don't do that? And like, well, are, instead of going on this crazy adventure, maybe we call the police and they handle it. And like, but where do we crazy profit adventure, there? though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the triads had gotten, had gotten involved and, the Yakuza had kidnapped Melanie and then the triads had kidnapped her from the Yakuza. And that was a whole thing. Yeah. And they think they got the tape back, but Nonong is like, guys, I gave the Yakuza a fake tape. And this is the one where Melanie's like, yeah, this is where Johnny, Johnny. And this is where they try the opium. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, now the new plan is to infiltrate the Yakuza base slash drug factory question mark the drug profit. factory which is where yeah. they're turning they're, they're turning the opium into communion <laughs> wafers so they can control the entire populace of the philippines through the catholic church uh yeah uh, after a bunch of antics involving a sound activated elevator uh stealthing past singing nuns and a bunch of other stuff we finally get to the laboratory and it's incredible. Yeah. And they, they have uh, this, this is where the song happens. Yeah. It's like an arena. There's like a, there's bleacher seats for all of the nuns to stand and do their choir of the musical. And it's, yeah, it's bizarre. It's, it's like a really long song, but it's amazing. It's, <laughs> it's nine minutes. I counted it out and, and it goes from like, yeah. And it goes from this point right until the end of the movie. And it tells you what the plot was that you didn't know up yeah. until this point. But until it fills you in on all this backstory and like, oh, okay, I get it now. I, I'm understanding the plot. <laughs> this is a plan. It's a crazy <laughs> plan. It's so elaborate. But again, very satirical. And we're, we're, it's political. They're talking about the way that outside interests try to control the Philippines economically and politically as well as the church uh controlling people socially yeah like like the the triad leader madame lily sings to the yakuza master like well if it's if this plan is so great why don't you just do it in japan it's like oh you don't know business <laughs> it's labor is cheaper here sung yes. the labor's cheaper oh there. yes <laughs> As you can see, my team of fake nuns, yeah. who I pay very cheap, will infiltrate the real nuns. It's way better than what I'm doing. Yeah, no, it is a very a snappy and like, the labor's cheaper here. <laughs> <laughs> and a very quick comeback. It's like, oh yeah, it's it's sort of a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory kind of deal. <laughs> so the, we have Johnny facing off against the Yakuza, the the Pinoy Grandmaster of the Yakuza. Right. I uh, forgot the Philippines about that branch. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, facing off with him with a sword against a backdrop of like a giant painting of the Japanese Grandmaster with like huge glowing eyes while the song is still going. Of course. It's crazy. That, that's uh, out of control. <laughs> uh, he, he triumphs, of course, because, of course. And uh, Father Blanco shows up, and I guess the two couples get married. Yeah. 
for some reason they 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 get they do a group marriage uh in the in the drug lab yeah. in the basement of the church yeah uh while there's still people being like arrested and taken away and stuff i mean there's priests <laughs> there they're there uh <laughs> i mean i guess right? the movie's ending <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah that's it that's the movie that rules it's incredibly chaotic <laughs> it's got a real crazy energy to it because like it just keeps <laughs> upending things like there's we we said the plot as we were going along but you get the plot all at the end from the song <laughs> yeah yeah nobody knows why anybody's chasing after this thing or why the yakuza are in the church or like finding out until the very end. Finding out that the cassette tape is made of raw opium happens when they decide to do the opium. Like they don't yes. know why anyone is after the tape until that point. Nobody does until like the audience doesn't know until they know. And then they're like, "Well, let's do opium then." <laughs> oh man, um, it's good. Yeah, it, it's a blast. It's a riot. It. Um really ends on a high note but the yes. whole thing is good throughout yeah the song really sends you out on a good note uh, uh totally recommend a very interesting movie like if you want kind of a, a window into uh philippine cinema it's a good one uh yeah. sort of a, a less serious one than something like manila in the claws of light or Cain and abel hmm which I'm not familiar with, but Lino Bracca, kind of the the best known big director from the Philippines, very serious dramas about social inequities uh, okay. in, the, in the country. Uh, very good. Uh, oh, cool, cool. Anyway, uh, that's our three films for part two. Do you have any last thoughts on any of those before we finish up with part three? Yeah, give us our daily bread, give us our daily bread, <laughs> give us our daily bread, super communion. It is catchy, like that bit is the give us our daily bread bit, and like, wow, just, oh, they yeah. really hammer it home. Because <laughs> like that part is like the nuns doing like this whole gospel act. Yeah. It's amazing. Good shit. So good, so good. All right, see you in part three. And we're back for part three, where we're talking about the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past week and deciding what we're going to cover next week. Now, this week was Christmas, so I didn't watch a lot of movies. Had family stuff. So we've only got nine picks this week, which is the probably the least we've had in some time. Quite a, I can't remember the last time we've had fewer than that. There's been times we've had eight, but not yeah. lately. Yeah, uh, but I made them count, so there, there's some pretty <laughs> significant stuff here. So first up, we've got Die Hard, because last oh. week, when we were uh, we were recording, I was like, well, I should watch Die Hard, because you've never seen Die Hard? It's a Christmas yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, I I either haven't seen it, or I saw it when I was so young that I don't remember. Yeah, so you got Bruce Mullis as John McClane. Uh, he's this guy, He uh, he he's a New York cop. But he's come to L.A. His, his wife is working as an executive in Nakatomi Plaza, which is actually the Fox building. Like the Fox okay. building plays Nakatomi Plaza, which is fun. They blow it up at the end. Newly, cool. The newly built Fox building movie made by Fox. Hmm. Uh, so he comes to see her and there's a terrorist take over the building. 
Oh no. They're it, it, during the Christmas party and they're uh they're not actually terrorists, they're holding people for ransom. They they're actually just trying to get money. Uh <laughs> And you know he 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 has to save hostages. He needs to stop the FBI from coming and just blowing people up. And uh, he's got to dump Snape Snape off the top of the building. Yeah, and there you got uh, Reginald Vell Johnson as the cop who's outside, right. who's, who's trying to help him out. Carl Winslow, but not. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. Uh, you know it's great. It it, it it totally holds up. It's a very solid action movie. It is. I would say this is the movie that starts peak action. You know, this is the one that creates the wave. And, you know, by 1990, you have Die Hard 2 riding the wave, even though it's trash. It <laughs> has all of the same energy. Okay. Next, we've got Hudson River Massacre. Uh, so uh, it's a it's uh, so it's a spaghetti western but it's a spaghetti northern i guess uh, oh nice so it's a canadian set western so it's late 19th century and i guess it's supposed to be the red river the, okay because it's the red river rebellion i don't know how familiar you are with canadian history um not as much as i'd like to be i i know bits and pieces but yeah yeah uh i i i took history in university so I, i've studied all this stuff but it, it's a little rusty but louis riel and the metis mm, okay, yeah, yeah the red river rebellion i think that's what this is supposed to be based on hudson okay. river isn't in canada it sure isn't i that's uh i'm pretty sure that's <laughs> a, a major high it's profile in, river in another major high profile uh yeah. city that is not canadian yeah that's in new york hudson river yeah. is in new york so uh Hudson River isn't right. There's the Hudson Bay, obviously, and the Hudson Bay Company are sort of the villains in this, as well as uh, the Mounties. Mm, So interesting. uh, It's the Mount, uh, like the the British Mounted Police at this point. Right. Okay. It's them and uh, the Hudson Bay Company uh, going after voyageurs. They they never say the word Métis, uh, Mm. but they're you know people who have mixed with the uh local uh natives so they are um they're yeah. they're settled they're considered they they call themselves canadians and they're against the british right so it's a canadians versus british western uh you got some fist fights in rivers you got a big massacre sequence where just mounties massacre a bunch of people uh oh. one of them one mountie gets a knife in the neck and you just it's weird because it's pretty goofy a lot of the time. It's got very <laughs> silly humor. It's very silly looking. Like the you got two lead ladies. One of them's a Métis lady, or maybe she's supposed to be native. And you've got the British prim prissy lady that they abduct. Uh, who's I, I think her her dad's the governor or whatever. Sure. And they both have like. 60s beehive haircuts <laughs> like come on come on it looks so silly no that's what that was the style at the time you see it, it was the style of 1965 when this was made <laughs> but that is the funny thing is it, like it is 65 italian western so 
sometimes it'll just get surprisingly violent. Like, uh, like I said, a Mountie gets a knife in the neck and you see him fall to the ground, the body, the, the camera lingers on the dead body with the knife in the neck. It's like weird. It's weird. <laughs> All right. Next, we've got Christmas Evil. This is hmm. great great christmas horror movie maybe the best killer santa movie that's not a slasher exactly okay all right it's incredibly christmassy hmm. uh in the opening sequence we have this kid in i guess it's the 50s and it, there's dad dressing up as santa claus and mom they they do this whole thing uh to like the dad dressed up and they have him uh they're they're like a family who really gets into santa so there is a whole tray of stuff for santa and oh. there's like <laughs> stuff to polish his boots and there's like a drink and there's food and you know they're they're watching from the stairs so they can secretly see all of it and the mom is really turned on by it oh no <laughs> so later on he sees mommy kissing santa claus and, okay. <laughs> uh, it causes a big problem in his life because we cut to him mm. as like a 35 year old and he works in a in a toy factory. And right. <laughs> he's started to think of himself as Santa Claus. <laughs> he's spying on all the neighborhood kids. He has naughty and nice lists. <laughs> Punish naughty. Uh there's this one kid. Oh, what's the name? Oh, it's there. There is a name that he says so angrily a few times, and just it, it cracks me up. Moss Garcia, <laughs> <laughs> the worst kid. He like, but he like he climbs up on the roof and he's like looking at all of the kids in the neighborhood through binoculars, and taking notes. <laughs> very spooky oh, no. <laughs> that's not you don't want to be doing that but he's also mad at his company who he feels are ripping people off and making shitty products and he you know feels that you should make better toys that last and you know really cares for kids and then he's making himself a really elaborate old school santa outfit and then christmas eve he goes out on the town <laughs> All it's, right. It's awesome. It's awesome. Really crazy twist ending. It's good stuff. Cool, cool. Next, we've got A Christmas Story, because I watch it every single year. It came out the year I was born, and I've watched it every single year that I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to evaluate this movie. I, I truly don't. Uh, it's a kid who wants a BB gun for Christmas. And... Uh, Obviously, his mom's not into that, and mm -hmm. <laughs> he doesn't really know how to communicate with his dad. Uh, so he figures Santa's the key. So he's going to ask Santa. He tries to write a theme to the teacher. Maybe the teacher can get an in for him to yeah. <laughs> and try to get his BB gun. Like it's just, it is very low stakes. It's a, a bunch of just Christmas atmosphere. Uh, the the two weeks around Christmas, the last week of school, and. You know, it's snowy, it's Canadian, it's made in, I think, BC, I think it's Vancouver. Cool, cool. Or actually, no, I think they made it 
in the U.S. because I think the house is somewhere. It's it's a Vancouver filmmaker, Bob Clark. It's the same director as Black Christmas. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, we talked about that when we did Black Christmas all those years ago. Yeah, last year. It was literally last year. Was it year. last year? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, some of the same actors. Also, some of the same actors as Deranged. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> some, some cast overlap. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I say, it's, uh, I, I don't even know how to evaluate it, but I've seen <laughs> it a billion times. All right. Next. Hey, I still haven't seen it, but maybe this week I will. Maybe. Maybe. Next, I did a triple feature. We've got Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, 4, and 5. Uh, these are crazy, crazy fucking movies. Uh, you've seen the first two. Yep. We've covered the first two. Yeah. So obviously in number one, we have our older brother, who's the Santa killer. He's yeah. working in the toy store. He has a psychotic break. He goes on a killing spree. Yep. And then he is shot before he can kill the one who really needs to die. Right. So his little brother takes up the mantle, Ricky. Now, Ricky is in all of these movies. The thing is, he's not played by the same actor in any of them. Oh, but you do got good actors as Ricky. Okay. It's just he becomes less of a main character mm. after the third one. So the third one, Ricky, you know, at the end of part two, police blew his head apart. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, he's not alive. <laughs> he was very, very dead. Uh, they reassembled his brain. They, Why? They got all of the chunks. They picked up all of the bits. Uh, they couldn't put the skull back together. That was ruined. But they put the brain back together and they put a glass dome over his head. So I there's... feel like the skull would be easier to fix than the brain would be. <laughs> you would think. Uh, but he has this glass dome and just an open brain with tons of blood that's sloshing around in there. <laughs> there's a green light that's constantly blinking on one side of it. Uh, weird. <laughs> and he's in a coma still. Right, okay, sure. So this guy's he's played by Bill Mosley, who you may know from the Rob Zombie movies. Like, did you ever see Devil's Rejects? I did, or but uh House of the Thousand Corpses. I saw both. So the main um, guy, the like not the the dad, not uh Sid Haig, the clown guy, but the 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 son, like the main okay. son. That's Bill Mosley. Okay. So it's him as Ricky. Uh, and there's this other girl who I think maybe has some latent psychic powers who is also undergoing psychotherapy in the same complex than uh, through the same mad doctor as Ricky. Okay. And, and it's Richard Bamer from Twin Peaks. Uh, Benjamin Horn. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's. He's her doctor and Ricky's doctor. <laughs> Just imagining he shows up in like a Civil War outfit one day. <laughs> He's connecting them psychically through their dreams to hopefully wake <laughs> Ricky up from his coma. So she's starting to have dreams about killer Santas. So he knows that they've connected and that Ricky's still in there. And then one day a drunk Santa wanders into the complex and gets into Ricky's room and he's like <laughs> drunkenly hovering over Ricky and Ricky wakes up and kills him. Oh, garbage day! <laughs> but it's Christmas break so the girl has gone to like a nearby small town to visit her family and 
Ricky breaks out and he's psychically connected to her and he she reminds him of his sister or something. I don't get exactly what... Did they have a sister? No, maybe. I don't know. Maybe there was a <laughs> hidden sister. I don't remember. Oh, hidden sister, of the, course. Yeah, yeah they right. might have had a plot of that in here too. But anyway, he, uh, he hitchhikes to the small town <laughs> with his blinking brain dome. Uh... <laughs> I can't remember who picks him up, but he does kill them. It's someone sort of recognizable. Uh, oh yeah, her the the girl's boyfriend is Eric DeRay, uh, Leo Johnson from Twin Peaks. Okay. Uh, with the hair that he has in the pilot, <laughs> you know the, the the crazy poodle hair and the all yep. jean, all denim outfit. It's like he <laughs> went off the set from this to Twin Peaks. You no. Know? <laughs> So yeah, he he shows up at their house and kills everyone. It sort of does a big bad wolf thing where like they they're supposed to be meeting their grandma, but he's gotten there first. And <laughs> yeah, it's it's silly. It's extraordinarily goofy. <laughs> uh, it's well, direct. So was the last one. Oh yeah, completely. Uh, it's directed by Monty Hellman, who's sort of an exploitation legend. He did like Two Lane Blacktop. Okay. Uh, next one. Number four, Bugs. Bugs. <laughs> or Initiation, also. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a Brian Yuzna movie. He's uh, the guy who, he's a producer. He worked with uh, Stuart Gordon quite a bit, who did like From Beyond and Reanimator. Most notably, Yuzna did Society. This really feels like a Society sequel. So Ricky's in this one, but it's Clint Howard now. Okay. And he's just this homeless guy. He <laughs> he eats bugs. He's working for this coven of witches. Has he got uh, the brain thing fixed? Yeah, he's just he's just Clint Howard. <laughs> 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 he he lives on the street. He we see him eating bugs and sometimes uh he gets sent on assignments by this group of witches. So that's the he's kind of a pretty minor character in the movie. Okay. It's about this girl. She's a reporter. She's sort of, she just works the classifieds and she's not really allowed to do any major news. But there's this uh, spontaneous human combustion story that she's really interested in. She starts kind of digging into. And it happens outside this occult bookstore. And there's this hot older lady who runs the occult bookstore. And she's obviously coming on to her. And it kind of seems like she sort of decides, fuck this, I kind of want to just quit my job and get it on with the lady who runs the occult bookstore. But then it turns out the lady is the witch who runs the cult, and she oh. starts to be brought in to replace this lady's daughter, and it just becomes this whole thing. Mm. There's a lot of bugs, and there's a lot of, like, it's it's a super <laughs> gross one. It's really weird and yucky. Um, really? Not super Christmassy. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's supposed to take place at Christmas, and once in a while you'll see some Christmas decorations, but it is L.A., and it is just sunny all the time. Right. And last one of the Silent Night, Deadly Nights 5, The Toymaker. Uh, I believe Red Letter Media just did a Best of the Worst on this, which I haven't had a chance to watch yet. I'm looking forward to I'm sure they're going to play around a lot with the name of Andy Rooney's <laughs> character. Sorry, Mickey Rooney's character, Joe Petto. 
<laughs> right. We we've talked about this before. Yeah. Yeah, I, I watched this, uh, I think, early this year, uh, like early January, because it showed up after Christmas. But he's Joe Petto because it's Geppetto. He he has a toy store and he has a Pinocchio-esque fake son who's like a robot boy. <laughs> sure. His name's We've Pino. brain in a jar. So, <laughs> Pino. Uh, oh, obviously, man, I yeah. That's, yeah. And he I makes... He, like we have a cold open where this kid sees his dad get killed by a Christmas ornament. Uh, it, it's this Santa ornament, and it like adheres to his face, and he's like, <laughs> it's it's like uh, crushing his face and uh, suffocating him, and he's like flailing around the living room, and he falls <laughs> on a fireplace poker, and it goes through his face, and he dies. Okay. <laughs> and the kid sees all of this. So it, he's catatonic for the movie and it, mother doesn't understand why he doesn't want to go to Petto's toys. <laughs> don't you want about... to go see Mr. Petto? Yeah, don't you want to go see Mr. Petto? I don't understand why nobody's going to Petto's toys these days. People keep saying Petto's and they don't seem to realize the problem. Anyway... <laughs> He I imagine the uh, police case file is like, hey, hand me the pedophile, will you? Yeah, exactly. Like, what, what were they thinking? <laughs> they they just didn't think it through. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I get the Pinocchio reference, but yeah. they're not thinking all the way through it. Anyway. No, that's yeah, not how you do it. <laughs> uh, the kid is sort of aware that he is a villain, but uh, the son, you know, Pino... The robot boy is also like busting into houses and is maybe he's killing people uh you know slashing's going on there's this guy who's investigating the killings and he's just buying all these toys and investing and like taking them apart to see if there's something messed up with them <laughs> it's bizarre it's totally insane all right <laughs> Uh, next we've got Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. The last one. I, oh, oh, this is the, oh, this is the one from this year. Yeah, it came out this year. Uh, uh how is it? Definitely better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I uh, well, uh, I mean, it would have to be. Easily better. Uh, just generally the tone is a little bit more right. It, it's still got some fan servicey stuff, but it's not as bad. Uh, they actually managed to do something interesting, it, it, something kind of touching with Mutt's character, uh, who is dead. He died. Mm. He died in Vietnam. Oh. <laughs> it's the 70s now. I, I think it's oh, maybe okay. 1970 or 71. Um, but it's it's weird. Uh, so Harrison Ford's character, he, as Indiana Jones, he's no longer cool. Uh, he's washed up. Nobody really cares about archaeology anymore. You know, people have walked on the moon now. It's not that interesting. Well, he just needs to go do archaeology on the moon, obviously. I guess so. Uh, Nazis <laughs> obviously show up because there's always Nazis still trying to litigate the war. That's what I this mean. Is there is always Nazis still trying to litigate the it's war. It's true. It's absolutely <laughs> true. Uh, so it's Mads Mikkelsen as this Nazi whose head really should have gotten knocked off at the start of the movie because there's this whole extended like 20 minute sequence set during the 40s and they de-aged Harrison Ford and it looks 
weird. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Looks kind of uncanny. And it's clearly like 80-year-old Harrison Ford's voice coming out of this not entirely articulated face. And it looks a little <laughs> deep faked. I mean, like the effects are impressive, but it's still like it doesn't look right. And there's a whole fight on the top of a train with a Nazi and, and he gets hit and knocked off the train. You assume he fucking died, but then right. he shows up without even uh steel plate in his head or anything looking exactly the same <laughs> later as Mads Mikkelsen uh, so the the archaeological doohickey in this the Dial of Destinies the Dial of Archimedes and uh, it's a time travel device okay okay so this movie does involve time travel they travel back in time uh, I was not a big fan of them traveling back in time <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think that's what he needs to be doing and like I, I i think it doesn't get as annoyingly silly as kingdom of the crystal skull does but there are points where it gets more serious than i feel it needs to where <sighs> it tries to be too serious with the character or too serious with the situation like you have just some kind of random civilians getting murdered uh, as collateral damage in a few places or it's like i don't really feel this fits the tone of an indiana jones movie right uh but you know on the whole way better than kingdom of the crystal skull it's a much better send-off to the character uh you know, pretty decent you know solid effects uh you know a, a better than Better than Crystal Skull, what can I say? Uh, I, I would say it's maybe on par with Last Crusade. I'm not a huge Indiana Jones fan. I've only seen the first one in Crystal Skull. Ooh. Yeah, so I mean... I, <laughs> I mean, the first one is the one you really need to see. Uh, I it's, it's like... the one where he shoots the guy and he punches yeah. the big Nazi. Yeah, it, it's easily the best. I like Temple of Doom, but it took me a long time to like Temple of Doom. And I'm not mm. a huge fan of Crusade. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's, this one's fine. This one's, you know, uh, as good as those. Uh, and last up is Blast, which is... Mm, <laughs> the the <laughs> Blu-ray is marketed to look like it's Die Hard. It's, it's, it, well... The poster post looks diehardish. Yeah, I mean, not so much on Letterboxd, but like the it is a copy of the diehard cover art on the the Blu-ray release oh. with like <laughs> uh, this guy Lyndon Ashby's face instead of Bruce Willis, and you've got this exploding building, and it is a diehard knockoff. This is mm. a really unabashed diehard knockoff, but it's set at the Atlanta Games. The Atlanta okay. Summer Olympics in the 90s. Right, right. Which there was an actual like terrorist attack there that was stopped. Uh, so this thing is imagining what might have happened if there were, if the if it had succeeded or if it had actually, okay. uh, the attack had actually happened, which it, it isn't that at right. all it's it has a minimal relationship to reality it is die hard at the olympics <laughs> okay so there's uh these terrorists uh, led by andrew divoff i don't know you'd know him from he's 
very funny as uh, the genie in uh, Wishmaster 2. It's hilarious in that. Uh, he's the main terrorist, and he comes in, and they manage to hold hostage the entire U.S. women's swim team. And the coach of the swim team, her ex-husband, is a janitor in the complex. Okay. And they don't manage it. Like, he's actually secretly special forces or something, and he evades them, and he's the John McClane who's, like, fighting the terrorist from the inside. Right, right. Because, of course, it's not Die Hard without one of those. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I mean, it's the ex-husband who... That's the same thing as in Die Hard. It's <laughs> his ex-wife, uh, Holly, who works in the building. Anyway, uh, this one also has Rutger Hauer as an aging hostage negotiator who is Native American. Oh, Rutger Hauer. Rutger very, Hauer. He's very got, Native American name. He's got full braids. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. He looks... Oh, Ooh, it, it I it was astonishing when he showed up. I was like, "What? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what indeed?" <laughs> uh, yeah, and he's the hostage negotiator, but he has a history with this terrorist, and he just really wants to blow him, and he doesn't care who else dies. <laughs> uh, it's really bad. <laughs> uh, so those are our nine. Picks. What do you figure for our second features or feature next week? Uh, well, I definitely want to do Christmas Story and finally watch that. Right on. And I don't know if I want to take on. I don't know if I want to do three this time because I got a lot of stuff going on this week. Sure. So, yeah. Uh. So it's going to be two, uh, but I don't know if I want to do Die Hard or Christmas Evil or the Hudson River Massacre. Those all sound interesting, actually. Fair, fair. Uh, you know what? Die Hard's not going anywhere. Let's do the let's let's do the Hudson River Massacre. What is a spaghetti northern? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Canadian spaghetti. So Hudson River Massacre and uh, Christmas Story. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts on A Christmas Story uh, as someone coming to it new. As an adult, too, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I, I said, I've seen it maybe 40 times. <laughs> <laughs> Upwards of 40 times. Uh, so, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's It's... It, it's just memorized i i don't know how to interpret it anymore <laughs> fair enough all right <laughs> oh well i'll give it a shot so i got no moves we didn't move all anything right. I, I as you said i mostly watch christmas movies right uh, right family stuff but next okay. week we're going to be starting our resolution stuff oh uh, we are i will be doing the pick next week okay uh haven't fully decided, but I've got a couple things in mind that I'm weighing. So, for our last pick of the year uh, from the main stacks, what do you figure? Uh, what do we? What kind of a note do we want to end this year on? What kind of a year have you had overall? If you could describe it in like a word or a phrase. Oh, Good, bad, 
so-so. Eh, I have no idea. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's kind of a big question to just dump on somebody. Uh, mine has been, you know, better than previous years. Uh, better than, certainly better than 2020 better and 2021. Than pandemic years. Yeah. So, yeah, we had a pretty good year. Let's close us, close it out with something positive, something fun and happy if we got anything. We got all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Uh, pretty uh, deep list. Sure is. And I'm looking at it here and I'm trying to think. Oh, heck. <laughs> Let's do the next uh, Andy Sidaris, Savage Beach. Savage Beach. Uh, so let's see. That one is from 19... Donna and Taryn again. Of course, Donna and Taryn. I think this might be the last Donna and Taryn. I think Taryn leaves after this one. Uh, I think we were. Yeah, I think we were, we, we were looking about into that. the details of which ones they were still in. Uh, so again, they're working for the DEA, and uh, they have to fly an emergency vaccine uh, because you know they also have their uh, Molokai uh, air business. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but a Philippines representative. Uh, has, is using a recon satellite to find a sunken ship of World War II gold from Japan. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they have to land their plane because of a storm while they're on this vaccine run, and then they get caught up in this gold hunt, obviously. But there's a ticking clock because they got to bring this vaccine. It's like a right. Star Trek episode. Next gen. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> They're always trying to bring a vaccine somewhere. <laughs> oh, that should be fun. They they've all been fun so far. Oh yeah, you can't really go too far wrong with uh, and Andy Sedaris. I think the next one is the one where you get um, uh, fuck, what's his name uh, from the Karate Kid. Pat Morita. I believe oh, Pat Morita is the villain Pat in the Marita next one. shows up? Yeah, I think he's the villain in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> one of these oh. upcoming for sure. Nice. <laughs> All right, so next week we'll be covering Savage Beach, a very summery movie, Christmas Story, <laughs> and uh, Hudson River Massacre, a movie that has nothing to do with the Hudson River. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, it, it may not be. Uh, it may not stand out to you as much, not being super aware of uh, the the history surrounding it. But it it really stood out to me. And like they even <laughs> what they mention Riel one time, but they say Louise Riel. It's like oh, not Louise. It's Louis. Oh. Louis. You don't say the s anyway. Uh, any Canadian would have got that right. <laughs> Yeah, I would a, hope. there is not a Canadian production. It is very Italian. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, next week we will have uh, those three movies. Uh, do you have any final thoughts before we close for this year? Uh, oh, shit, I got to do something real good then, don't I? Can't do it. <laughs> uh, all right, well, we'll see you in the new year we're going to doing our usual resolutions month we'll 
do something from the top of the stacks. We'll be finishing some stacks. I'm going to be doing a pick next week. It'll probably be some weird art house shit. You know how I do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. All right. Uh, So long, 2023. Bye, everybody.